Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Recorded live. With Doctor Who spoilers from the very start, this is the Colton Collective Podcast. Sometimes you see something. A bit like this. Don't click it. Do not click it. Once you've clicked it, they're in your computer. They can see you. If they can see you, they might choose you. And if they do, you die. In 24 hours, you're dead. For a while. People's souls are being uploaded to the internet. It's like people get stuck. Their minds, their souls trapped in the Wi-Fi. This is not a home. I, I don't know where I am. Or a joke. <laughs> or a story. I don't know where I am. This is real and I know that. I don't know where I am. Please. Welcome to the Golden Collective Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Dave A.C. and Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Cult Collective Podcast. I'm uh, Dave A.C. hosting today. Hopefully, Ian will be with us soon. And if you still don't know where you are, you are in the Cultum Collective podcast. And we have quite a number of people here with us, some on audio and some in the room. And uh, let's find out who those people are. And as they go down my list, number one is Mr. Darth Skeptical. Hi, Darth. Hello, Dave. How are you? Good to have you with us. That's great. Uh, also in the room, thank you very much. Also in the room, we have Mr. Perry G. Hi, Perry. Hi, Dave. How's it going? Fine. And I found out that the G in your name doesn't stand for gravity because you haven't been on the Vomit Comet, which I was talking with him uh, a day or so ago. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show. Uh, we are also joined by uh, the uh, Jeff, the Seventh Doctor. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Dave. I, I never know where I am, for sure. Do you know where you are? <laughs> well, I uh, know where you are at the moment. You're at my side helping me keep an eye on the chat room, but thank you very much for agreeing to do that prior to the recording starting. So thank you very much it. indeed. We also it. have one more person on audio, and that is uh, Cuddly Ken. Hi, Ken. Hi, Dave. How are you doing today? Fine indeed, Al. That, isn't that a nice civilized introduction to the group today? Very civilized. I don't know why Happy that Easter. is. Happy Easter to everyone. Oh, indeed. Absolutely, absolutely fine. And which may account for the slightly uh, reduced numbers, but we do have other people in the room, but they are under the cone. Controls, new agent training program, section 3.5, the cone of silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the cone of silence. What? Do not shout in the cone of silence. What? In fact, don't even use the cone of silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The portable cone of silence. What? And first under the cone, I'm going to mention him first, 
because uh, he may want to put in a another podcast ID and any topic it might be doing later today in text, and that is uh, Logan, known to many of you as Bruce. Hi, Bruce. Once you have you here, if you put any information in text, I will read it out. Uh, spoiled here? <laughs> uh, not by uh, the main people, but um, yes, that's the uh, Media Outsiders call ID 81865. Uh, starting 10 minutes late from his usual start time of uh, 10 p.m., so it will be at 10.10 uh, 10 p.m., Eastern Daylight Time, and I should just say to the people in the UK, of course, we've moved on to British Summertime, so we're at a five-hour difference between the UK and TalkShoe Times, which takes that from Eastern Time. Uh, we're also joined in the room by Guest 7, Cybob, and Guest 9, and my TARDIS as well. So, welcome everybody. As I say, Ian will get introduced as soon as he comes into the room. But uh, we're now going to go to some news. Uh, a couple of items which might be spoilers, but we'll give you another warning about those as they come up. Go, Typing Monkey, go. Well done, Ken, indeed. And in fact, it's <laughs> Ken who's going to kick us off with the news. Yes, our first news item, it's, it's not a good one. Um, the Mill, uh, the great studio of special effects that's responsible for um, all the wonderful work on Doctor Who and spin-offs since 2005, is going to be forced, because of financial uh, reasons, to close down its TV department, which is going to uh, impact a loss of about 25 jobs. Um, part of the reason that uh, broadcasters they're commissioning less high-end special effects-driven drama series this year with the uh, discontinuation of Merlin and the BBC not commissioning uh, really an extra Doctor Who series this year. And the mill also um, lost... Um, Primeval, the, they lost the, the, the Yeah, the Da Vinci series. On stars, they were up for the bid for that, and they weren't included uh, uh, to work on that series. And so, Demons, they did that. Yeah, um, they're still going to have offices. I mean, in uh, in L.A., New York, and Chicago, and they're going to be work on commercial work. But this doesn't really bode well for its cutting down because. It's 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 kind of like a bad circle. They gave so much to the strength of Doctor Who, and now on the anniversary year, uh, they're cutting back and closing offices and and laying off people. It's it's uh, not a good sign, uh, not good at all. So while everyone is is cheering for the anniversary of Doctor Who, it's uh, they kind of bow heads for the people that work in the trenches to make it all look uh, so good and make it so enjoyable for us all. Uh, so that information came out this week. Thank you very much. And um, uh, guest 10, I'll unmute you in a moment. We're just waiting until we get through. The think, new... Go on. Sorry, if I can just jump in there and, and talk about maybe its effect on Doctor Who. I mean, I think we've seen that already. This is, um, you know, this has been the trend in, in Series 7, actually, ever since... Um, the Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe, um, we've seen that the mill has 
either on one or two occasions not been there at all in the credits or they had been sharing duties and mm. um you know one of the things that they have done over the last what would it be two maybe three episodes is sharing duties with Stargate Studios um so i i don't while it is bad and you can certainly understand what's what's going on here um i'm not sure that it's necessarily bad for visual quality in, in doctor who you know for for us as the end user uh, you know, looking at, you know, what is the quality of Doctor Who? I don't necessarily think it's going to have that much of an impact um, because whatever, you know, the mill is losing, other people are picking up on. Uh, and, you know, we're seeing that one of, one of the knock-on effects, too, of um, Stephen Moffat also doing Sherlock is that he's using some of his Sherlock contacts in Doctor Who. One of the biggest and most obvious things is um, the uh, title design, right? That The, the title design in the RTD era, that was done by the mill. It actually was never credited to the mill, but then um, when Moffat took over, it was done by Framestore, who were um, you know, they, they were really big in uh a lot of different areas. Um, and, you know, some people didn't like the frame store designs, but whatever, they were there. And then, you know, as we moved into Series 7, you had the, the frame store design that was then taken over um, and and changed. And that's where we started to get, you know, the different um, sort of colored backgrounds. And you, you started – the big innovation of early Series 7 was the uh, – the Doctor Who logo that changed color or background or texture or whatever for each individual uh, episode. And then now, of course, we see that same company taking over and doing the the brand new design that we saw in this week's episode. Um, and that, that same company is the one that does Sherlock. Uh, so there's a, there's a clear um, line of production order between Sherlock and, and Doctor Who now coming into fruition. So I don't think, you know, Moffat is going to be at a loss of who to turn to to do the graphics. It's just going to turn to people who are not exclusively doing uh, television stuff, and he's going to use his contacts in, in film and in his other television enterprises to, to come up with the goods. So I don't, you know, this is this bad individually for the mill, and we hate to see yeah. somebody who's been with us since, you know, Curse of Fatal Death, really, uh, to suffer any kind of financial loss, um, but you know what are you going to do? That if they if they put all their eggs in one basket and they haven't necessarily done just television, but they certainly have been heavily invested in television, maybe more so than a frame store or Stargate Studios or whatever. And in the upswing, um, there can always be a turnaround. I mean that that's the thing too. I mean, well, sure, there as the economy to lose the staff. Well, but no, I mean, oh. at least what we have, you know, the thing that Merlin and, and uh, various other projects got for us in Wales is, you know, the new studios, and therefore the capacity is there to build stuff. The pipeline is done. You know, the train tracks are laid. So all that really has to happen is there has to be some sort of commissioning of new material, which may well happen as we get into uh, – you know, more of an economic upswing. And, you know, other things could happen, like the Tories could lose. Uh, 
the coalition could come crashing down and labor could come back and, you know, you could get maybe some sort of, uh, you know, more money coming into television production and, you know, things could turn around. It's not like, I don't think this is means it's gone forever, but I think the mill is going to have to, you know, take care of itself in a way. It's going to have to diversify. It's going to have to say, you know what, here's this body of work that we have done on Doctor Who and on Merlin and whatever. Can American companies use this? Can, you know, we diversify more into making commercials? Because that's what a lot of these um, companies, certainly the company that is doing um, – the title graphics, they do a ton of commercials. They do a ton of music videos, and that's not really something the mill is into. Um, and if the mill could diversify, then, you know, you'd see those people come but back. They have but again, been, they're working on trailers. They did the trailer for Les Miserables, et cetera. Sure. Know, same thing. Yeah, they, they have been. But, I mean, it's not enough to, to cover what is um, kind of a sudden loss, really. I mean, when yeah. you look at – I mean, what do they got? Wizards and Aliens now, and they've got um, – Doctor Who, you know, whereas before they had Merlin, they had all this other stuff. Um, and, I, and, you know, again, I don't think that they're really in any kind of long-term problem. I don't think that Doctor Who is going to be negatively affected by this. It's just one of those things that's kind of sad that maybe some of the people who worked for the mill and who therefore also worked on Doctor Who now temporarily probably don't have a job, which kind of sucks. But they have yeah. a huge body of work. they got a nice portfolio. They'll find work. Just like, I mean, the same thing has actually happened you know, throughout the um, the the ranks of people who moved to uh, Wales in order to make Doctor Who and Torchwood and the Sarah Dan Adventures clearly has thinned because you've taken away one of those, you know, planks, right? And so if you look at the list of people who were there, you know, the art department that used to be there and could stay in Cardiff because when they stopped working on Doctor Who, they went over to Merlin. When they stopped working on Merlin, they went upstairs, downstairs. That also got canceled, you know. And that was being made BBC Wales. Um, and, you know, so all these people who used to be able to work on Doctor Who now kind of can't. And and that's, to me, the bigger tragedy. Not the Mill, because Mill is a separate, independent organization. But when you talk about the people who were, who were a part of what is called the Doctor Who production what is it, Doctor Who Production Company, I think is what the you know, official legal name is of the entity that makes Doctor Who. Um, that, those ranks have been totally thinned. You know, and when you look back at the heyday of, of Doctor Who um, in the RTD era, you look at 2006 and you look at the number of people that used to be credited for, as you know, 2D artists, 3D artists, all this stuff. Um, they have been gradually depleted over time, and obviously some of those then went to work for the mill, um, and therefore were not separately credited anymore. But it still is just like it, it, it's really tragic when you look at the. the well, it's not tragic because those people you see them pop up. You know that they moved on, but they they did have to move to Manchester. They did have to move to Edinburgh. They had to move where other productions were being made, and it it, it kind of is sad. I mean, I, I guess in a way. Um, especially if you're, especially if you're Welsh, I think it's probably sad because you at one point certainly had a lot more people in Cardiff and a lot more people that were therefore spending money in the local economy. And, you know, at one point there was this big study done of what RTD's actual impact on the economy of South Wales was. And that was just massively impressive. And you can see that 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 now has constricted for a bit, but yet he's, you know, ultimately left behind brand new production facilities and left behind the capacity to do a lot more. It's just that right now we're in sort of a fallow period. 
Yeah, I mean, the sad thing to me as well is the fact that uh, if if uh, the mill can't make it uh, an economic, um, you know, out of all that they've had come their way, are they've earned, are they've done, it's going to discourage new new creative companies from setting up because they think, well, if they, a company at the top of their game, uh, UK-based, top of the game anyway, can't make it pay, then there's not going to be much room for uh, for us to come in. So it, it might stifle... Mm. Innovation and and new people can be. Oh, they might they might think the market's opened up. I don't know. Well, that's the thing. I don't think that's what's going on. I think what what you're actually seeing is that um, there's now a greater ubiquity of resource, and so therefore more and more companies have sprung up. And I think that you are seeing competition in the marketplace, which is undoubtedly a good thing. I mean, that's undoubtedly bringing down the the price of getting these graphics on. And if the price of the graphics goes down, then obviously you can make more units and you can create better stuff. And I think that's why you're seeing a general upswing in in the overall visual quality and look of things. I mean, one great example of this, and I think you can see it in Doctor Who, you know, there was that time where in Series 5 where the budgets took a hit because of the recession, right? And you could obviously see that Series 5, some of the graphics in some of the places were not as good as what it had been previously uh, in the RTD era. And you're like, well, you know, especially I think, you know, Pandora opens, there were some spots in there that are just a little lame uh, in terms of their graphics. And I think, you know, now that you're into Series 7 and you're starting to see things, and you, I, I think that the, the graphic quality of this program is back on top again. Um, and I think the reason that is is because graphics have become cheaper because they there are more companies that are competing, and, and that's a good thing for the end product. But again, that does have the temporary effect of making um, you know an individual company like the mill perhaps suffer because it hasn't got enough contracts at the current time to make up for what it is lost. Um, but I don't, I don't think it's stifling creativity. I think that Generally, technology being cheaper, being better is actually a great thing for creativity. And I think that you do see a lot of new companies that have started up or companies that were doing one thing that have diversified. Even in, in the British sector, that's one thing that I've really noticed is that the British sector has really taken off in the last just two years, I think. Right. The other thing, of course, is that uh, the Millers worked through this transition uh, to HD, I remember when mm. Primeval was on, there was the fact that uh, you know uh, producing uh, visual effects for HD television is is quite a lot more complex because of the processing time and so on. Uh, yeah. So I mean, uh, but of course the BBC had all the in-house with the you know the war. I'm not sure whether the mill worked on Walking with Dinosaurs and all those um, other programs that were done, but. Um, Thank you for that insight. Uh, I, I want to welcome, just before I welcome uh, uh, the co-host back into the room, um, I voted Saxon um, is in the room. Gus Tennis just dropped off. But we've uh, been joined by Ian, so prepare to uh, dive, dive, dive. Hi, Ian. Hello, Dave. <laughs> Sorry I'm late, folks. Family, as, as it is, you know, nothing ever goes to schedule. So I dash back from, uh, from Northport, and I'm here, finally. I would have well, caught the plane, but there were some problems with their Wi-Fi. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> well, as you can see, we're just, we're just getting the news. We just had the uh, the news from Ken about the the TV arm of the mill closing, and uh, I think Ken, if you uh, have you, have you finished uh, your contribution to that? Why yes. Okay. Well, let's go on to Perry then with uh, 
with the news that he was going to mention with a, a very, very minor spoiler area in it, I think. Well, yeah, I don't... That there, um, who's going to be releasing it? There's there's an e-book that's coming out on the 4th of April, so in four days, um, with the same title as a book that was men- was shown in the episode yesterday. So I don't know if it's a spoiler to mention the name of the title, but the title is uh, Summer Falls, or perhaps it's Doctor Who, colon, Summer Falls by Amelia Williams. Uh, and there's a little blurb about it on the DoctorWhoNews.net uh, website about what the... Uh, a little plot, plot synopsis. But it's about a young girl named Kate uh, who discovers a mysterious painting that leads her on an adventure. And with the help of... The museum curator's magical cat, a miserable neighbor, and a lonely boy. She plans on solving the mystery of of the painting. So I imagine the lonely boy is a <laughs> depiction of a certain time lord, but I'm not sure. If you look at the picture of the cover, there's two boys in the background, and one is sort of blondish, and one has dark brown hair. <laughs> you can guess who they're who perhaps they represent, and the girl looks... I don't know if she looks that much like Amy, but a little little bit. What's that? What? what? Oh, and... and, Oh, and chapter 11 is supposed to be the best chapter, by the way. Well, there's a clue, isn't there? Chapter 11 (laughs) makes you cry. Oh, no. Yeah, not not chapter 11 like you'd think in the States, chapter 11, but... But... but the line, the line from the does make you cry. Yeah. Line from the episode last night is not chapter eleven is the best. It's eleven's the best. Ah. You'll eye your eyes out. Uh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, thank, for what thanks. reason? <clears throat> um, okay. Yeah. Uh, let's, yeah. go to, let's go to Jeff then, please. Well, uh, as we've been saying over the last couple of months, BBC America is celebrating the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who, and the way they're doing this is by airing 11 specials, one a month from January through November, and they're uh, showcasing each doctor in these uh, specials. And tonight, BBC America is going to uh, show the third Doctor special, Doctor Who, the Doctors Revisited, the third Doctor, and this will be at 8 o'clock Eastern, and if you're on a West Coast uh, BBC America feed, it's also 8 o'clock in the Pacific time zone. And after the special, they're going to be airing um, Spearhead from Space, uh, the first story from the third Doctor. So I'm looking forward to that, and uh, I'm just hoping for no stretching, zooming tricks on the... uh, playback of Spearhead from Space. We'll, we'll see what they do. And of course you're looking forward to a Cultum commentary on that episode, which you will be delighted to hear uh, is already underway. Uh, so. The other thing that uh, that they're doing this evening, BBC America, is at, I believe it's 7 o'clock, Ken? Yes, it is. 7 o'clock they are showing uh, a new, brand new special called Doctor Who the Companions. So they're going to showcase the companions for for the Doctor. And I don't know if that includes classic series companions or not. I really haven't heard a whole lot about this special until just a couple days ago. So we'll see what they've got. 
Right. Thanks very much indeed. Uh, well, I've just got one piece of news, then we will we'll give another little warning uh, for the, the item after that. But um, this is for people who are fans of the actor John Sim, played obviously the master uh, in Doctor Who. Um, and that is uh, in BBC One, 9pm tonight, uh, is uh, the starting of a series called The Village. Very briefly, let me read a little about it. Um, as if being filmed for an oral history project, centenarian Bert recalls the first bus coming to his Derbyshire village in 1914 when he was 12. Thus, after his uh, dissolved to the Peak District scene, uh, this compelling new drama begins with the Midland Red trundling interview and the clouds of war gathering over a small community. The strong cast includes uh, Maxine Peake, John Sim, Juliet Stevenson, uh, and a show-stealing newcomer, the young boy Bill Jones. Um, six episodes take the story to 1920, with four further decade-spanning series uh, planned. So, fans of uh, John Sim, uh, look out for that. And um, we're now just going to... We've got an item that we want to talk about, but... Um, this is something that is official because it's now being released by uh, the BBC. Uh, having said that, uh, seems rather hastily. Uh, Ken, do you want to mention anything about this before? I, I'll tell you what. Um, just give you a moment to just uh, gather your thoughts. There was one other piece of news on the Doctor Who News Net, and that was the the actual episode that we're going to be giving a spoiler review of uh, in a few minutes. Um, the Bells of St. John, uh, the overnight ratings were 6.2 million, third most watched program of the night. But it's becoming quite uh, common now. Um, many people, if they've got two shows to watch in the UK, will record uh, Dot Two on, uh, get it from the BBC iPlayer. So I would expect another million and a half. And then, of course, it may well be aired on BBC Three and so on. Um, but um, yeah, the overnight viewing figures 6.2 million. Ken, do you feel up to just mentioning um, about this breaking casting news? And um, we'll talk for uh, come back if you don't want to know about it at the 30 minute mark. That's in four minutes. All right. Um, okay. Well, seems there was a bit of a mistake with the shipping of an issue of Doctor Who Monthly. This is how the story goes, that it came out five days early. Well, that's not just my problem with this, but it, it's it's how we're getting spoiled by social media and instantaneous news to have a lot of the pleasure taken away. Because I think a lot of people, with casting news this important for the 50th anniversary special, and it's just April. We're getting these eight episodes. Everyone was geared up this weekend for that. It's almost like an overabundance. You know, save the joy down the line. You know, that that's my thought on it. Well, we'll discuss what it is. Um, um, David Tennant and Billy Piper will be joining uh, Matt Smith and Jenna Louise Coleman. Uh in the 50th anniversary slash 3D extravaganza special, and a special guest actor, the incredible John Hurt, will be joining them. 
Now, this was a small little box section. I've read it. I, I saw a bit of it um, in the in the Who Monthly. I saw it posted. I I don't understand why this was not rolled out as something a bit more important with media reviews, etc. Wait a couple months to the end of these eight episodes. You know. Save save the treat for what it is, you know, for the discussion. But it, it seemed like damage control. The BBC yesterday uh, put it on their official website. You know, men, they announced it because it was already, you know, figuratively the cat out of the bag, and they had to do this. But well, they're enjoying scads of publicity for a non-news weekend, for a holiday weekend now. So the cynic could say, oh, it was all planned out. But one way or the other, I, I, th- I think it's kind of a mess. It, it was great in Asylum of the Daleks that we didn't know that Jenna Louise Coleman was in it. I, I think that was great. It was great in Journey's End, if the memory serves, and that was the episode, or the, the two-parter, when David... Tenant of the Tenth Doctor appeared to be regenerating. We we didn't know what was going to happen next week, and that was fun. That was great. Nobody blew that surprise for us. And to a lot of people, maybe they didn't want to know so soon exactly who was going to be in this special. And there's no way to avoid it. You you open Facebook or Twitter or what have you, it's in your face. And Dave, as the consummate gentleman that he is, requested yesterday on the Colton page, please do not mention this. It's leaving people a choice. And someone did mention it. And I was, <laughs> you know, a moment there to take them to a little bit of a task in a kind way. And I said, I'll forget it. It's you know, it's already too late. But but it's it's really kind of disheartening to me because part of the joy of this, we 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 get we get so little aspect of of um, to enjoy uh, the freshness. And we're of, still talking Dr. about Who. it, people on the recording. So um, might need to move forward another five minutes or so. Sorry, Ken. Okay. That, that's all I have to say on it. It's, it's, uh, yeah. it's, uh, I mean, I think now once we, we're bringing it up on this episode, uh, we'll do it. But uh, uh, there have been a few ding-dong matches on Facebook. Um, indeed, I think uh, somebody's typing on a, a laptop somewhere trying to find out where we all work. But, um, Ian, do you want to take the question posed by Logan in the room? And Logan's question is, um, do we know, um, do we expect Tennant to be playing the clone doctor or the real 10. I mean, obviously if anybody knows for a fact, uh, we wouldn't want you to say, but I mean, do you want to speculate on that one Ian, or not? Yeah. Well, uh, the, the thought had occurred to me yesterday when I, when I, um, when somebody told me about the news, <coughs> you let me have some good guesses though. Uh, <laughs> something to do with chipmunks. Um, but, uh, I mean, the thought had crossed my mind that it might be the Metacrisis, Doctor and uh, and of course Rose from you know from Bad Wolf where we last left them off at Bad Wolf Bay but it's uh, I couldn't see them really creating a story around that 
that would be of any you know great you know importance. I mean, them crossing over into that universe, or for some reason them crossing over to ours, and you know you got a, basically a you know a human doctor. What's the point? So my guess is that it'd be somewhere probably in the early adventures of of uh, Rose and the Tenth Doctor. Um, that way you avoid anything that's you know, any major stuff that's going on in that storyline. So that would be my best guess. Uh, that, that's, that's probably what it will be. Or they'll just make no, absolutely no reference, but it will definitely be the Doctor and Rose. Um, otherwise, yeah, what's the point of having them there if they're not the, you know, if he's not the real Doctor? That would just be kind of like, well, that was a waste, you know. So basically, what well, I think we have, unless there's going to be any more secret uh, casting, um, what we have is basically the two Doctors. Yeah, that's that's that's, yep. that's my take on it. Yeah. So yeah, and and to to my child in the room. Yeah, it, it's just that um, we probably discussed before you came in that we were going to uh, give a warning about that. But uh, as I say, it is official, even though as uh, Ken pointed out, is hurriedly posted. Uh, does anybody want to make a, a a short comment? If they're going to start a long comment, please you know paraphrase that by saying you know how much time they need. So I can give a, a warning out. But if anybody wants to either just comment very quickly or wants to, um, you know, hold forth on it. If not, we'll we'll move swiftly on to Andy and the topic. Well, let me just say uh, I'm only going to take a minute. Uh, okay. So I was hoping that we would see more, and, and maybe we will. Maybe we haven't heard the whole um, news on this yet, but I was hoping we'd see something from the classic series. And before anybody gets any ideas of who I might be talking about, it may surprise you. I was hoping we might see McGon. We have so little of him in the you know in the show, and I think he could still uh, be a viable uh, person to play the Doctor in the show today. From the classic series, and I, I just think that would be a nice thing to do: bring the classic series in and bring somebody we didn't see a whole lot of back. Yeah, nice. yeah. I mean, the speculation is completely different than spoilers. Yeah, right. I don't know where we are with, and probably I'm not sure if Darth is even on audio at the moment, but uh, um, I don't know where that whole the thing where with the and the TV movies tied up and things like that, and whether they have access to that Doctor. I know they're free to do the audio adventures, but I'm not sure about where he's allowed on screen. I'm assuming he's allowed on screen. Yeah, the BBC does own the Eight Doctor. I know for a while there it was like... uh, There was still stuff with rights and that. They don't... the The BBC doesn't own anything that's particular to that serial. So, for instance, the BBC doesn't own Grace and Chainley, and that's been why it's been very difficult to get them together. Uh, And the only place that you've ever seen that is in the pages of the Doctor Who magazine comic strip, because for a brief period of time, the... um, uh, I I gotta go. Okay. Uh, Right, so uh, let me just see if... uh, Cobra, I think I muted him, but I don't really remuted. Uh, hey, Dave. Hey, Dave. Uh, we're, yep, we're here. We're, we can hear you. I'm, 
I'm sorry. If I can, I'm sorry to come yeah, back. Yeah, certainly uh, come back. Yeah, the, come uh, back. So anyway, the uh, Grace is used in Doctor Who magazine comic strip because at that for a brief period of time, um, how does this go? Universal owned. Is it Universal owned Marvel or Universal owned? Panini, one of the two. It's been Panini, I guess, because it was in later stuff. So, whatever. At that particular time, it was all in the same family. Um, so, Universal had no issue with them using Grace in the comic strip for the Eighth Doctor. But everybody else, you'll notice there's never been a um, like a big finish audio that uses the character of Grace. They've used the actor in different roles, but they can't use Grace the character, and that's because they don't own those characters. I don't know what the situation is with, not that it matters at this point narratively, I don't know if they technically own the Roberts Master or not. I don't think they do, because I would have thought the Master was a, a predating character, and so therefore they don't own that. Now, the other question is, do they own the the look of the TARDIS for the Eighth Doctor. That's an interesting question, but one that you could easily solve if you're going to bring back McGann by just saying, oh, he's in the Ninth Doctor's TARDIS. You know, you could you could just posit that or he, he changed. Decorated. Or, or he's not in any you know TARDIS whatsoever that we know yet. You could just make him a brand new one. Uh, but surely the cheaper one would just be to put him into the Ninth Doctor's TARDIS and say, you know, it got redecorated long before we thought or whatever. Uh, but to actually bring back McGann wouldn't be an issue. Uh, and they have some kind of rights to at least the image of McGann, because obviously we've seen the image of McGann in the BBC Whale series. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it would be a relatively easy thing to bring back McGann. I've never heard any kind of uh, problems about that. It's just, why would you bring back Grace anyway? She's an irrelevant character, really. Really. You, you wouldn't even have to see the Eighth Doctor's uh, TARDIS. If you remember from, let's say, the Third Doctor, we, uh, the Three Doctors, excuse me, we never saw the Second Doctor's TARDIS in the Three Doctors. That's true. I mean, you wouldn't even need it. Yeah, I guess. Um, yeah. And McGann would love to come back. Yeah, he's been dropping broad hints that he really would like to. Um so, you know, that's, and he that's robbed. He didn't get robbed. He knew what he was doing. He signed a contract. To, you know, the contract went according to the terms the contract specified. He didn't get robbed. Um, and he has done the audio since, so he's, he's obviously he, he, made a lot of money out of it. Right, and he certainly has made some kind of money out of doing the conventions. And um, yeah, he's been fine. He's had a, and you know, he's got a uh, a flourishing career on. TV too, you know. Outside of that, in some ways, you know, he's he's done probably as much, if not more. Uh, you know, the the two doctors that have probably made the most, well, three doctors, four, <laughs> that have made the most out of um, a post doctor career are obviously Peter Davison, who had yeah. a pre doctor career, and then um, McGann himself, who obviously had a big pre doctor career and a big post doctor career. And Eccleston, again, same situation, and Tennant, 
you know, and we and we imagine we imagine that Matt Smith will probably have a pretty good one too. So it's not like Doctor Who's never hurt him. It's only been a you know, it's only been a boon for him. It's only given him you know a way to work that can involve his kids. We know that you know his kids' first acting roles have been in Big Finish, uh, Jake. So yeah. you know, and and we know he's a big family man. He's so that's helped his family life too. So. You know, he's not got he's got nothing to complain about really in terms of Doctor. Except that he would you you do get the sense that he would like somehow to you know escape the George Lazenby curse and and do more than one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, guys, look, we're at the forty minute mark now, so I think uh, with uh, unless Ian wants to uh, bring any other news, uh, I think he caught most of the news. But um, uh, I think we're almost ready to hear from Andy. Ian, do you want to? Here from Andy, or do you want to say something first? No, no, I, I think uh, I think we're all good, and we should uh, press on because uh, I hear some bells ringing in the distance. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hear from Andy then. If you enjoy listening, why not join the collective and participate yourself? Or on TalkShoe, call ID five four eight two one. Call in on seven two four 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 seven four four four. This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling plan before dialing in. If you have a SIP client, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect in directly via the shoe phone client if you have TalkShoe Live installed. Looking forward to hearing you. Now, Logan's just been text about the Richard Griffiths, the sad death. Of course, um, I, I had the feeling that we talked about it, but that was probably on... Mike's Friday Night Trivia, was it, that we talked about? Yeah, it was. Right. So thank you, Logan, for that. Just uh, quickly, uh, an addendum, as it were, um, that the actor, Richard Griffiths, who uh, actually, uh, strangely, was in the same, uh, some Paul McGann from Widnail and I, and uh, somebody who will be making, uh, um, I did make uh, a part in the Doctor episode we're going to talk about, um, Sadly, died age 65 just recently. Uh, did all sorts of things. Uh, big stage actor. The, he was in The History Man on stage and on the film. He did uh, Pie in the Sky where he played a detective. Uh, he was in an awful lot of uh, uh, good programs. But, of course, many, many people will remember him as playing um, the awful father uh, in Harry Potter in about four, I think, of the films. Uh, I don't think the family was shown in all of the films, but um, uh, Richard Griffiths yeah, suddenly died. I, I'm not quite sure whether it was on Friday, was it, that he died? I haven't got the page up at the moment. It was Friday when it hit my email feed, so yeah. He, he right, passed away on Thursday. <laughs> Thursday the 28th. Right, so he died. No. All right. no. Uh, I have conflicting information. One page says the 28th, another says the 29th. It might have been still, oh, yeah. It might have been the 29th in the UK, but 28th still. Because I think he died in the early hours of the morning, didn't he? I believe so. Yeah, the main page for him is this uh, 29th. I've seen the 28th and the 29th, so. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Unfortunately, sad loss. Yeah. Lovely. 
Yeah, thanks for mentioning that little logo. It's fan news, of course, but it shouldn't really uh, go. I mean, the, the 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 first thing I remember seeing him was when the boat comes in. He's playing a policeman in that, but that was way long ago. And um, I think the latest film he was in was Hugo, was it? Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, King George, and Hugo. And of course, the last Harry Potter was the not the last film. It was film seven. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, part one. Okay. Yep. Okay, that's sad news, but um, let's uh, just uh, regroup everyone. We're going to be talking about um, the very first of uh, Series 7, part two. Uh, one of eight episodes of Doctor Who that we're going to have between now and then. There's going to be a gap before we run it up to the uh, 50th anniversary in the, on the 23rd of November but as we talked about in the news that's um, eight months away yet so we want to refocus on uh, Matt Smith having a, a true adventure with his new companion and to that end um, let's um, let, let's go with um, Ken first after I've played a clip and then we'll go to Darth after Ken if we mind just give those people a heads up and um, let me find my first clip here we go that is not supposed to happen. Hello? Ah, oh, hello. I can't find the internet. Sorry? It's gone. The internet. I can't find it anywhere. Where is it? The internet? Yes, the internet. Why don't I have the internet? It's 12.07. I got half a three. Am I finding a different time zone? Yeah, you really sort of are. So show up on the bell. Oh, I'd to think. Listen, where did you get this number? Well, in the shop wrote it down. It's a helpline, isn't it? She said it's the best helpline out there in the universe, she said. What woman? Who was she? I don't know. Woman in the shop. So, why isn't there internet? Shouldn't it just sort of be there? Look, listen, I'm not actually... This isn't... You have clicked on the Wi-Fi button, haven't you? Hang on. Click on the Wi-Fi, you'll see a list of names, you see one you recognise. It's asking me for a password. Is it okay if I go and see Nina? You can call her mum. Sure. Um, what's the password for the internet? R-Y-C-B-A-R-123. How am I supposed to remember that? Is it an evil spirit? It's a woman. Hang on. Just a mo. Run, you clever boy, and remember. One... Wrong. It's throwing me out again. What do I do? How do I get back in? It's just a, um, a, a thing to remember the password. Run, you clever boy, and remember. Hang on. I'll come in. Okay. This was the first of eight episodes, and I thought it was delightful. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, 
first off, Matt Smith is is so good on his game. He's unbelievable in this. Their chemistry is fantastic. Him and Jenna Louise. You know, I I had a uh, of Tracy Hepburn or Nick and Nora Charles vibe from the two of them. Um, it, it was great. It's, it's her third introduction into the show, and um, which is really fascinating for a character. And I think they pulled it off beautifully. I think they pulled it off beautifully. Um, the episode really felt like old home week. I, I thought I was really under, um, and I, this is not to denigrate, but I really thought it was under a different producer. It felt uh, very RTD to me, very RTD. The London locales, the uh, set pieces, the kind of worldwide cataclysm, uh, the corporate mastermind uh, lurking with some great technical evil that's controlling people. Um, that, that to me, was uh, we're back to the uh, adipose. Uh, taking over. Um, big props to Celia Emery as uh, the main baddie uh, face of this, uh, the shard, so to speak, that's controlling the Wi-Fi. She's always such a good actress in everything she does, and she did a, a fabulous job. I, I love where the whole thing began, that, well, the little girl... Clara said maybe you should go to a quiet place and think in the little two-and-a-half-minute prequel, and that's exactly where the doctor goes. Uh, he goes, puts on a monk habit, and broods about it, paints a painting, thinks a bit, and he gets a phone call. And the uh, phone rings through hundreds of years uh, back to Cambria, I, uh, in the uh, 1200s, and who's on the phone but Clara. And it uh, nonstop from there. Great great set pieces, wonder, wonderful bit on the plane, uh, so much fun what he does uh, with the motorcycle. I thought it was so touching when uh, he's so protective of her that he's waiting outside leaves the jammy dodges for her. Of course, he takes a bite out of one and uh, and leaves half. You know, he should have finished the whole thing. But um, really good form. I, I, I don't have really a lot to say about the episode. Murray Gold's music was, was really great. I uh, picked up on a new Clara theme, which I think he'll probably be using uh, throughout the season. It looked wonderful. It was nice. Uh, the cameo at the end by Richard E. Grant. Usually I'd be a little critical that that last minute bit, but I have an idea we're going to see him back in the season, and that's not it for the great intelligence uh, rearing its uh, lovely head. I, I wish we'd see the Yeti back, but I, I don't think that's going to come uh, in this series. But really good show. I would uh, give it four to uh, four and a half TARDIS groans 
and uh, really, really enjoyed it. Looking forward to next week. Okay. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Let me play a little clip and we'll go and uh, hear what Darth has to say. Uh, here we go. Clara Oswald. Hello. Clara Oswald Oswald. Just Clara Oswald. What was that middle one? Do you remember me? No? Should I? Who are you? The doctor. No? The doctor? Doctor who? No, just the doctor. Eventually, sorry. Could you just ask me that again? Could, I ask? Could you just ask me that question again? Doctor Who? Okay, just once more. Doctor Who? Oh, yeah. Oh. Do you know, I never realised how much I enjoy hearing that said out loud. Thank you. Okay. Hey! No! Clara! Please! Clara, I need to talk to you! Listen! Please! Clara Oswald. We've got a positive lock on her, but I think she's borderline. Very clever, but no computer skills. Upload her anyway. Splice her a computer skills package. I'll activate the spoonhead. Alexi, we call them servers, not spoonheads. Sorry, Miss Kisler. I'm never so fond of Alexi, but my conscience says we should probably kill him. I'll inform HR. Actually, he's about to go on holiday. Kill him when he gets back. Let's not be unreasonable. Didn't you want to speak to me? We're uploading too many people too quickly. We're going to get noticed. If your conscience is bothering you, think of it like this. We're preserving living minds in permanent form in the data cloud. It's like immortality. Only fatal. My conscience is fine. Good. Because our client has his needs. Did you just hack me? Because you changed your mind. I hope I did. Please, I just need to speak to you. Why are you still here? Why are you here at all? Right, you phoned me. You were looking for the internet. That was you? Of course it was me. How'd you get here so fast? I just happened to be in the neighbourhood. On my mobile phone. When you say mobile phone, why do you point at that blue box? Because it's a surprisingly accurate description. Okay, we're finished now. No, no. Sorry, that was a bit long, but I wanted that little bit in about his description of what the <laughs> the blue box was. I thought that was great. Uh, Darth, if you could go now, and then uh, Perry is uh, is itching to go after you uh, later. All right then. Um, well, I mean, I think that we are once again with a Stephen Moffat episode, which uh, basically takes a lot of elements that were in other stories and barely remixes them and presents us with sort of a retelling largely of the idiot's lantern. Let's not be beat around the bush. That's clearly what it really is. School um, No. Idiot's lantern is I think the strongest parallel to the, the overall arc. I mean there there definitely are elements within that are um you know from other things. And we'll talk about them in a minute. The one thing that does take from another episode that I think is very cool and I think is appropriate for the 50th anniversary, the use of the shard. I love that because it is a hark back, whether intentional or not, to War Machines, right? War Machines is centrally based around the uh, the PTT, 
which at that time, in that year, was brand new, right? Mm -hmm. And it sort of highlighted a part of London that was brand new. The Shard has just opened, what, Dave, last month? Something yeah, in like fact, that. some episodes we've seen it being built, um, especially right. when, if people have been watching Luther as well. But, um, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, mm -hmm. and it, that's Post Office Tower, for those people who don't know the acronym that uh, Darth was alluding to. Yeah, so that's just... I, I, sorry, my phone is just ringing off the hook today. Um, but the, um, you know, the great thing is here, it, it is like, you know, that old episode of Doctor Who where you are using a part of London that is brand new and is kind of funky looking and you don't quite trust what it does and isn't that spooky. And, and that part of it I really liked and I absolutely loved the Antigrav motorcycle. I don't care how hokey in some senses that was. I just thought that was awesome. Uh, and, and the use of the term anti-grav, I mean, that goes all the way back to, uh, you know, TV comic, uh, William Hartnell, or at least it might, it might only go back to Patrick Troughton TV comic, but certainly 60s TV comic, Doctor Who stuff, the anti-grav, whatever, fill in the blank here. Uh, isn't it cool how it works? And I just thought that was an the highlight of the, the whole deal, kind of. Uh, maybe not the emotional, but the sort of, you know, boys on adventure sort of highlight. Um, lots of the the rest of it, though, you know, as I said, are, are borrowed from other places. And I, and I got to tell you, I am sick to the back teeth of Stephen Moffat's idea that if you turn around the face of something, it's going to be spooky. I mean, how many times are we going to do this? Silence in the library, check. The yeah. Beast Below, check. Spoonheads, check. Now, I will say, of those three, I guess I like the Spoonheads the best. I think it's kind of a cool idea. But seriously, how many times are we going to do that one trick? It is it is getting very old, and I hope we don't do it again. It's already uh, overstayed its welcome. I, I also think that, you know... But I in mean, this particular sense, it fits the theme. Doesn't matter. It's the same trick. I mean, I understand narratively how it works, and you know, I, I will grant that of the three times, it's it's the theme of the other three too. Um, you well, know, I, I think this might be pointing towards something that I really don't want to mention, but I, I think it's leading to something. Fine, even if it is, you know, whatever. Uh, doesn't matter. It's still the same trick, and you know, the times that we've seen it, it's all him. So you know. Will it make it better if, in the end, it was revealed to you know all three of these things to be somehow related? Maybe, but it still is a part of what it, you know is starting to grate about the the Moffat style of writing is borrowing from himself essentially. And you know, again, a lot of things happen in this episode that don't that are great in the, in the sense that they keep you going forward with the plot and. You know, they do that old trick, and I bring this out I, almost every time I talk about Stephen Moffat because it's what he does. The old trick of, you know, the the horse in the spaceship. You know, every 10 minutes you got to do something that yeah. makes your audience sit up and do something. And some of what happens doesn't really make any sense. I mean, especially the plane thing. I, it was cool to see the doctor on a plane uh, because this is something that I've wanted to see since – Gosh, the uh, the old um, countdown 
John Pertwee thing where he's on a plane going to Tibet and has to save it. Um, but why? I mean, what is the point? What were they? Were they? I thought they were just trying to steal her. They weren't trying to kill her, were they? I, I mean, it like so, it. they were trying to crash it, into them. It looked like well, at it, that point. It, it looked like it at that point, but that wasn't what they said they were doing. I mean, the whole thing kind of just was out of nowhere and was just a an action sequence for the sake of being an action sequence. Um, I, yes, that, that scene at the first time, Dark, confused me because I'm like, why are they on the airplane now? Yeah. And when I watched it back and I could hear the, you know, okay, all the lights were coming on and then you hear this airplane approaching. In other words, they were just going to, in other words, to, and they, to to stop them, they were just going to throw a plane at them. And so the doctor then hopped to the plane to stop it from crashing. But are they? I guess my point of confusion was, but I didn't ca- I didn't catch it the first time, so I wasn't sure if you did. But yeah. The, the other explanation was the fact that they were turning off all the power in London. The plane was over that area, and so that lost its power as part of the Wi-Fi switch off. You know what I mean? So it was actually. Uh, you know, mm. caught in no, the, caught power. in that switch. Well, Play it, it lost control. It lost tr- control. It put everybody to sleep, didn't it? They turned it over, put everybody to sleep so they could crash the plane because the doctor says we've now become a target. That yeah, no, I heard. Referring no, to no, the plane. I, no, I, no, I, I mean, I, I understand. He said all that, and I understand that it was aimed at them. The question is, but that's why? Not what, yeah. I mean. I, I guess the point might have been that they were aiming for the doctor and that she happened to be there was collateral. But what they were saying in the scene before that is they were still trying to get her uploaded. And so why would you kill somebody you were trying to upload? I think they were trying – maybe they were trying to kill the doctor or whatever. But, I mean, well, they, come the, on. The, Seriously? The a plane? That, right, because they gave her all that ha- – because they just got done having the conversation about – all of her yeah, utilities, that I, and they're not going to let her keep it. Not going to let you keep that, mm-hmm. yeah. right? So and she had this woman guess, had this kizit had been warned to account for the doctor. But at the end of the day, though, a plane at two people—are you really seriously? Yeah. That's not going to work. I mean, I don't care if you. I mean, if you if the people can see that a plane is coming after him, a plane will not kill two people because two people will be able to move. Um. It just it's it's such a weird and blunt instrument. It's an interesting and exciting scene, I suppose. But the other thing that's weird about that scene is um you know, in it the doctor clearly says that he's an alien and then later on she asks him, Are you an alien? It's like, Well, did you not hear what I just said? I mean it kinda doesn't doesn't really she he they get the same right. Right, right, or something. I mean, it's it's just weird. Um, but there's that. There's the you know there's the idiot's lantern thing. There's the uh, you know barring of the turning around of the heads. There's um, uh, various other things that are running from other episodes, and I didn't necessarily like that. Uh, my disdain for the uh, Clara scene, which is not actually new, but actually comes from Snowman, and may actually, if you really went back and looked at his silent Daleks, it might be there. I'm not. Entirely sure. Definitely in Snowman. Really still hate that theme. Really. I mean, that whole scene where oh, the jammy Dodgers and the, the you know, her scene, her theme going in Ascendant, hated it. I cannot stand that theme. It is the worst companion theme 
um, that we've had so far. And I think you know part of the reason is it's airy fairy. It doesn't have it doesn't have any personality to it. It could be, as I said in the last time we talked about a Doctor Who episode, I think it could be for Tinkerbell. I think it could be for any creature that has wings. Um, and it really doesn't. There's you know in the in the theme for Donna, the theme itself has a has a sense of agency to it for for lack of a better word it, it tells you that this character has a personality has a a, a distinct something of chutzpah it has some she has something about her that is meaningful and there is nothing distinct or unusual about the the uh uh, the theme for Clara, and I don't think it's adaptable to that many situations, whereas the Donna theme was. The Martha theme was certainly adaptable in a lot of different situations. The Martha theme told you something about that character. It told you, you know, this is a wistful character. I really thought that we were maybe going to be getting away from fairy tales and all that. We're clearly not done with fairy tales. We can't resist putting in a reference to Amelia Pond, even though she should be dead and buried at this point. Um and we're still, you know, the fanciful covers from the 1930s and 1940s. It looks like it's the cover to The Wizard of Oz and its first printing. Um, that is just, I'm sick of that. Let us have an adult. Uh, this is basically Amy point two at this point. Um, and the only thing that's better about Amy point two is that Nominally, it looks like maybe, possibly, Jenna Louise Coleman is a better actor out of the gate, maybe, sort of, but they're roughly comparable. Um, I, I, There are some scenes where I feel the chemistry between the two actors, and there are some scenes, like very notably, I think, the scene where they're outside at the cafe, where I didn't really get the sense of, uh, you know... Chemi genuine chemistry. It's a sort of artificial chemistry where people don't talk like real people, and some of that is Stephen Moffat's fault, and some of that is I don't know. It, it didn't quite. Is that work not the unbalance though? Because the doctor feels as though he knows her, she doesn't know him. So there's that imbalance of well, know, I mean, that's, the way that's they're a point, interacting and talking. That's a point that the scene is trying to make, but that's not necessarily. I think what's going on between the actors. I mean, there there are some scenes where they have really good chemistry together, and there's some where it's like, I don't really think that the chemistry is all that realistic. It's not. I don't know. It, it's not as as um, people aren't behaving in way. She doesn't behave like a normal person would behave in any sense. It's very odd, and that could be a part of the character. We might find out that there's a reason for that as we go forward. I don't know, but it really is not instantly as charming as I thought maybe it might have been. Um, and certainly the thing is, if there's anything that I really don't like about it, is that for some reason the chemistry between them allows him to be weirder. And that's a bad thing with Matt Smith. Matt mm. Smith is better when he is straight and serious. But when he gets to be weird, when he gets to show off and... Oh God, do I hate that new coat that makes him look like Willy Wonka or, or the Joker or whatever? That purple is horrible. It takes him away from the the thing about his his costume that I liked before. The aspect of maybe he's you know um, Indiana Jones as he taught at university. Maybe he's that, and that I could be with kind of. But this 
weird purple. It and and putting the the damn bow tie in a box as if it were the key to everything. I think it's just you know that's going over the top in the same way that um, Miracle Day went over the top about the um, you know the importance of the blue jacket for Jack, you know Jack Harkness. It is just an object. And not only that, but you know, let's talk about that particular bow tie is is one of the worst that he's had. It's almost as bad as the very initial one that he had in Eleventh uh, Hour. That at least he only found that one. At least he had no, you know, part in enshrining it in some sort of glory. Man, that was that was very very disappointing. Um, so there's a lot that I just um, I, I was hoping that we would be in a new era, and at this point, the the overwhelming thing that I, I, I kind of feel is I'm ready for this dude to regenerate. I'm ready to be done and, and to move on. I, I honestly, you know, from from the first day that I saw him, uh, you know, I've been trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. I've been saying, you know, something about Moffat is going to make these stories make sense. It will happen. It didn't happen at the end of Amy and... I've been thinking, you know, well, the 11th Doctor is somehow going to turn the corner with a new companion and be more interesting than he was before. And really, that's not happened. If anything, his excesses have been catered to, and he's even weirder. And I think the weirder part is going to push away the audience more. Um, It certainly is pushing me away. So I don't like that. Um, now, the overall story, you know, the other things, I, I, I like the direction of the episode quite a bit. Um, yes, I think that you would have to say that, and I'm sorry, Cope, I'm really hearing myself in a reverb there. Oh, um, for a moment. Yeah. Um, but the, the direction was, was good yet. And yes, it had a lot of elements, I think from Sherlock in a way where you, you know, you saw things up on the screen that people were looking at on their device. I'm kind of thinking at this point, that's not a borrow anymore. That's just a change in the way that film language is now in the same sense that, you know, at one point you might have been able to say that an over-the-shoulder shot was stealing from a particular director. You can't really do that anymore. That's just the way you do it. And I kind of think, you know, we're at a point now that if a person is looking at a modern technological device in a story and you see the contents of that thing flash up on screen, that's just the way we're going to do it from now on because it makes a lot of visual sense. So, you know, I think last year, a year before, I might have said, oh, wow, they really stole from Sherlock. Now I'm just thinking... Well, okay. <laughs> Sherlock's form has now just permeated, and that's where we are. Um, but beyond that, I think that there were some some very nice um, frames that were going on here. That is to say, visual frames that the director was doing. Um, some some nice use of medium shots that you really wouldn't have expected necessarily. Um, some good stuff that was going on there. Um, the the only thing visually that I really didn't like about the episode was the interior of the TARDIS, which I think looks horrible, just flat out horrible. Um, it is, it's the weirdest thing because they're, they're trying to use green lighting kind of like Ernie Vincennes did in series one. But, um, I didn't really check to see who the, the DOP was on this, but I, I got to tell you that the lighting, the green lighting that they're doing there shows up how fake the interior is. You can just see it, especially the back walls. The back walls look horrible. Um, And I I just am not getting that new interior whatsoever. It doesn't do 
anything for me except say we've pushed this show into science fiction and bad looking science fiction where you can see that it's a set. So I just uh, I see Simon Dennis I guess is the the uh, DOP thanks, who I thanks Patty who I guess is the first time on this one because I've not heard of him before. Um, and it's not I don't know that it's necessarily his fault. I'm not sure how you like that sucker. Um, if if what you've got in the interior, you know, if you if you got Michael Pickwo telling you that you've got to have, you know, that green interior lighting inside the the central column, I'm not sure what more you can do. You know, there aren't many options since that's such a powerful central bl- bright light. I don't know. I just uh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it, it really took me out of it. Um, and, and there's some you know some obvious production errors. You know, the, the, that cute scene at the at the when they land on the bank of the Thames and you know they step out and they, he turns it into a busking situation, which was a clever moment. Um, it, it, you know, in one shot you can see the, the silver yeah. wall, in another shot you can't see the silver wall. It's like, come on, guys, get it straight. What are we doing here? Um, it's it, it's it seems like that interior is just too much trouble. And I, and I hope that eventually there is a narrative reason. I don't I don't want to say I, I need to know why it turned from the one to the other, but I would like at some point for there to be a reason why we need to have a new interior. Maybe you know we're going to see a, a contrast with an older interior or something like that. But I really hope we and I don't think it's possible because they probably have invested some money in it. But I, I hope it, that we move away from that interior uh, at least by the end of the year, may, hopefully by the end of this run, maybe at, by the end of Matt Smith, and maybe those things will all be coincident and we'll just get rid of all the bad. Because right now, I am not that happy with Doctor Who. It, it, it was, And it's a strange thing because the episode, like many Moffat episodes, had me going. It really had me going to begin with. I mean, I thought that, you know, the, the initial thing, even though I immediately saw that, you know, it looked like it was the Idiot's Lantern, it was still interesting. It still had something for me. And, you know, I love that the, the password for the, the the home network was, you know, run you clever boy and whatever, remember. I, I thought that was like a spine-tingling sort of moment that was very kind of cool. Um, and, you know, when I wasn't thinking about it, the airplane thing was cool. Um, and, you know, as we progressed through it and, and the, the monastery thing was cool until I thought about it. I was like, why the hell would he be there? Exactly. And if this thing is so far away from him that he needs a horse, who was out there to hear it ringing? And, you know, that's bringing, you know, something back again from, um, you know, the empty child, the fact that the exterior thing rings, it also brings something back from Screamless Shalka, kind of. Um, it, it's, it's just uh, some some things that, you know, all these things made sense, not sense. They, all these things propel me forward in the story to begin with. But then, you know, once you get to the end and basically he reverts the entire thing by pushing a button, then it's like most of the spell is is gone you know and and and, you know once the spell is drawn away from your eyes and you've made it all the way through and you haven't left your television set and you've done what Stephen Moffat what you wanted you to do by sticking there then you start to realize the guy's a charlatan and he's he's done it again it's this thing of you know kind of like and this is not his episode but certainly is one he signed off on it's kind of like you know vampires from Venice um or in Venice 
that one, you know, what? how is it resolved? By the doctor literally flipping a switch. And that's exactly what happens here, too. He kind of flips the switch. Um, and even though there are cool things in it, you know, unit comes back and, uh, you know, you've got this pretty great direction and all this stuff. It just, it, it makes you mad at the end because you can see how he grabbed from this and grabbed from that and put it together. And actually this part doesn't make a lot of sense and you didn't need to be suspended by that. And the only reason that you were, you know, hooked on that monastery thing in the first place was because you were charmed by the, you know, reference kind of to the IT crowd, uh, you know, and him rolling his eyes like he's a, you know, an IT server. And you're charmed by the fact that, oh, there's this mysterious woman that's in a shop that's giving out the number to the TARDIS telephone, you know, these little breadcrumbs that are interesting. But then when you look at the meal, it's just not nourishing. So... I, well, uh, I, I think it was just a. I mean, the great intelligence that came in. I mean, I think you're quite right. It was resolved fairly quickly, but I think mm. that's going to be the first brush with the great intelligence. Well, second gonna, brush, because sure. it carried over from the snowman, didn't it? So, yeah, and also they're, they're introducing, they're introducing they're, this yeah. pa- companion. Yeah, again, for the third time. Why do we need to keep getting introduced? Why do we need to have her have, you know, two two takes at the TARDIS entry thing, you know? I know it's a great thing to write. Russell T. Davies says it's his favorite thing to write is the first time that a companion sees the TARDIS. But, I mean, do we need to have it really twice? I mean, is it really that interesting? I mean, wouldn't it be more interesting to have somebody, a guy? <laughs> wouldn't it be more interesting to have, you know, an older woman? Wouldn't it be more interesting to have somebody who does not pretty much in every superficial way represent or, or resemble Amy? It is Amy 2.0. Or it may be not even as good as that. It might only be Amy 1.5. Um, mystery, young girl, about you know mid-20s, what are you going to do? Are we going to snog in the TARDIS or not? And I don't mind that part. Actually, I, I kind of like the fact that in this one, you know, there's no sense of, oh, she's cheating on Roy or she's cheating on some guy or whatever, that there's just flat-out flirting. And that the Doctor is not that good at, you know, Rebuffing that. I mean, there's a sense in which you get this this feeling that maybe it's okay with him. You know, in a, in a, in a it's not like Amy, where Amy throws him, herself at him, and he's just like, no, you can't do that. It is much more. Uh, I don't know. It's it's closer to being the river thing, where he's like, no, you shouldn't do that. But actually, that was kind of cool, and you know, he considers for the moment that maybe he is somebody that would have a snog booth. I don't mind that part, but I do mind the fact that she looks and feels like Amy, <laughs> which uh, is let, what we wanted to get away from, I thought. Okay. Uh, just let Kobo, I think you want yep. to come back on a couple of things, but then we'll be going to Perry next. But I, just, Kobo. I just have a little bit of a rebuttal to what Darth is saying. In a sense, we are seeing Clara in three different timelines. So her reaction to the TARDIS every time makes sense from a narrative perspective. I mean... Well, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. he was wondering whether the time needed to be wasted on it, in, in effect, for us well, the viewer. No, uh, not necessarily that. Not wasted, exactly. It's just like, 
what is the point? Well, I guess okay, that doesn't mean wasted. You know, <laughs> it's it's not that it doesn't narratively make sense. Obviously, it does it's you know ostensibly kind of sort of a different person, so she would have different reactions. But you know, it mutes things. For instance, you know, when when you have her come into the TARDIS the first time in the Snowman, you get what is this kind of an original assertion about the TARDIS, right? Not that it's smaller on the inside, but that it is bigger. I mean, not that it's bigger on the inside, but that it's smaller on the outside, right? That is now sort of muted a little bit because the 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 uh, I don't know what we're going to call this the the prime character, the prime Clara, is, is you know has gone in and said exactly what you'd expect her to say. It is bigger on the you know. It's like, well, that. Why do it twice? Why do it one episode after another? I mean, that's the bigger thing. Is literally, this is two episodes in a row of this, um, and that's what bugs me from the audience standpoint. And you know, the other thing is, uh, other things that are you know continually being brought up. And I know that we're going to get some sort of reason for this, but the whole Doctor Who thing again. And now he likes it. Now he really likes hearing that. And it's like, really. I mean, where could you possibly go with this that would justify this? Um, maybe there is somewhere, and I, I suspect there must be somewhere. He can't be doing it and not have a plan for answering the question, given all the hints that he's dropped. But at this point, what could the answer possibly be that would be interesting enough to justify that? I just, given how much this guy has disappointed me already, this guy, of course, being Moffat. I am not at all confident that the answer to Doctor Who question mark could at all be interesting. Yeah, I must admit, uh, uh, I, I wonder why we have to have a, a very important person as the companion. I heard somebody else's voice come in there for a moment. And also, Guys. the answer um, to answer your darker coat I like the darker coat because it reflects the slightly more cynical doctor's style. What? I think the I wouldn't say it's darker. It's gaudy. It's like a quite a it's bright like, purple. It's, it's season eighteen all over again, and I hate season eighteen. It doesn't look purple to me at all. I don't know oh, where you guys really? are seeing purple. Yeah. Yeah, it's maybe totally in the sunlight purple. it looks a little purplish, but I never thought of it as being purple till you just talked about it. Really? Yeah, it just oh looks gray God. to me. It looks dark. It, it is. It, I think you'll find if you do a side by side comparison of uh, the Dark Knight no, Returns. I was Returns. looking at the video when you started talking about it. Oh, you mean the Joker? Well, you know, yeah, okay. yeah. If you, if you do Dark Knight Returns next to this, you'll be like, oh, that is definitely the same color. It's not. It's not like Caesar Romero. But it is, you know, it's definitely Heath Ledger. And uh, I'm looking. I'm, I'm looking at the video I have of it. Is it, is it HD version? No, I yeah, don't think it HD, looks slightly purple when he's outside on the motorcycle. I can see that, but most it, mostly it just yeah. I I wouldn't call it like a bright purple. Plus, I'm not a fan of it being long either. I just bleh, no. Uh, if you want to have a long coat, have a regular mm-hmm. coat, then put the like the green thing that he had before, that was fine. A duster. That was great. Mm-hmm. No problem mm-hmm. with that. I like the but, duster, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The duster on top of the regular tweed, fine. But to get a, I think getting away from tweed is wrong for this version. I think that 
he's sliding from being nutty professor into being fantasy character, and that's uh, I don't like that term. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Now, before I go, there, I do have two serious yeah. questions that I don't understand, and I would like for somebody, and maybe you, Dave, might be particularly placed to do this. Oh, there are funny. two things that are, there are two things that are said that I just I don't get, and one of them is the leaf in the book. And she says, that's not a leaf, that's the first page. What the yeah. hell does that mean? That means it's 101 places to visit, so she's only ever visited one place. And I assume that was a Canadian maple leaf. I don't know what it was. But I assume that... And the, the reason why the doctor was licking it, although it was a bit inopportune, as Ian will say, if doing it in her bedroom, but um, I think he was <laughs> trying to just find out which country it was from. So I'm assuming that she has made one trip. If you also look at the years, by the way, one thing I noticed that... Uh, she, she ticked off each year, yeah. but uh, uh, 23rd. Yeah, Mr. So I was thinking, oh, I think she spent a year. Well. Is it when she was having a trip with the doctor? But of course, that couldn't be true because she's already filled in 24. Uh, so unless, it, unless he brings her back at a different time. But yes, yeah, I she, assume that was a leap. 23 in Snowman. Yeah, but that was a different. It was a different woman, wasn't it? Is yeah. it? Is well, there you are, you see. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I, I assume I, I that that's where she's been. That was a, a memento of a, a trip to maybe Canada or... Was, yeah, it, was it a Canadian? Too. Was it a Canadian maple leaf, guys? I know. I maple leaf is a That makes an interesting point. Back on the Coke thing, it's still a kind of tweed. It's not a tweed. There, you know... In nobody's no, universe is that tweed. No, no way. No, it's not a tweed. No, no way. Um, and then the other... Yeah. yeah, it's wool. It's not tweed. There's no pattern, really, of anything. It it's is, not that they hash things. That, yeah, it, it, but, yeah, red, it's yeah. bad memories of Tom Baker, final year. And if it means that we're going into the final year, and it's a oh. subtle reference to that, <laughs> fine. Because let's get rid of, of the dude, and let's get on to some th- Doctor Who. That's what I said. Um, but... Um, and that's terrible because I didn't always feel that way about Matt Smith, but I, you know, really, that's where I am now. It is. I, I'm done. I know what his character is. It's not going to change. It's just going to get sillier. I don't want sillier. So yeah. let's move on. Well, I like. Yeah. Uh, I don't like the bit with it where he does his logic bit, where he doesn't understand humans, and he dithers a bit. I, I do think that uh, makes it wonder why this girl would be even interested in him because uh, she'd just give him one look and think, if you excuse the word, toss her. She'll think. You know, I mean, uh, but, yeah. uh, but yeah. anyway, apart from that, uh, Jeff, I think Jeff just wanted to come in with one mm. comment from what you'd said, if you don't mind, yeah. Darth. What was it, Ken? Uh, Jeff? Uh, she was actually 26 in the Christmas special. Okay. Ah. Well, that's interesting. So it's another year she is not, so maybe that means something. I don't know. Now, the other thing, the other comment that I just really, I didn't, it didn't make any sense at all. Uh, and I want to say um, one positive thing before I go into that, and that is this to the extent that the idiot's lan- that this is different from the idiot's lantern at all. It has to do with the ability to hack into somebody and to change their characteristics. And I got to say as a gamer or whatever, I thought that was pretty clever. The the notion that you, you know, not only could control somebody but that you could, you know, 
suddenly add a lot of intelligence to them or take away paranoia or whatever. I was like, oh, that's oh, and that, I like the I like the button she pushed at the end to went with <laughs> yeah, yeah, restore yeah. to default settings, so settings factory yeah. settings, yeah, I restore that, factory that, settings. That, that was that part of it. That riff on it was actually very clever, and I, I will give him credit for that. And, you know, like I said, I will give him credit for some other things that are within it that, you know, made it exciting to watch once. It's, and that's, that's, that is Stephen Moffat to me. Most of what he writes is exciting to watch once, unless it's The Beast Below, which is, he, even he, thankfully, gratefully, finally has said, that is not my best work, and I would have done things differently. Anyway, um, the, the other thing is, um, what, was dark, what was are that? You, are you tired of Matt Smith? Or are you tired of Stephen Moffat's interpretation of Matt Smith? I think at this point I'm kind of tired of Matt Smith because, you know, there's only so long that you can go having the character presented another way. I think at this point if somebody were to take him over and write him a different way, Matt Smith might be like, well, that's not how this character goes, you know, and and resist it. And I think, you know, to me I think we're in a period of time that I uh, – you know, other people, and this is not the way that I felt about the Fourth Doctor, but this is the way that other people have felt. Um, I think we're in a period of time where we're at season 16. Now, I personally like season 16. I, I like that interpretation of the Tom Baker Doctor, but it is so far away, in a way, from like season 12 Tom Baker, and it's migrated to a more fanciful and comical Doctor that, in it, you know, a lot of people back in the day were like, Okay, let's let's regenerate this guy and move on to something else because now we are just kind of far away. But of course, you know, I'm sure that. Well, you becoming becoming a pastiche of himself. Of himself, yeah. I mean, I think at this point we are, you know, and you you saw the the Jamie Dodger bit. I thought was particularly indicative of this that we are at the point where we are not making up new stuff in a way, but we are referencing old things that were just throwaway lines kind of, and I you know who do you really want to harken back to you know victories of Alex is that really what you want to do are, are you sure that you want to make a reference to again the um, beast below is that is that wise to do that I don't know um, but anyway the, the other thing I didn't understand about the episode and I, I feel stupid because there must be something I'm just basically missing. The South Bank reference, you know what I'm talking about? The one where um, the the guys up in the in the shard, and of course that's not their name, that's just the name of the building. That they say um, something like, you know, the the doctor lands and and gets out and collects all the money with the the fez and everything, and then they find him on somebody's camera and they say, "Are you sure that's him?" Because we don't want a repeat of the South Bank incident. And I don't quite understand yeah, that. Uh, well, that's a throwaway line. I, I, we did, we haven't seen anything at the South Bank. I mean, that's where mm. um, that that's where um, the um, the new opera houses and things like that, isn't it? Yeah, I no, I get I get the sense that it is actually a reference to something, and I don't. Is it is it a meta reference to the fact that isn't that where Riverside Studios is? Maybe it's something we haven't seen yet. No, I think I think it is something that happened before, and we're supposed to know what it is. And I don't know, because I know I know that 
well, for instance, I mean, I, I went on the Gallifrey base because I was like, well, maybe they'll know because it really bugged me that I didn't know it. And I know on there, you know, some some people just say, oh, and the, and the South Bank gag was really cute. I'm like, what's the gag? I don't really, yeah. I don't get it. Um, so somewhere in there, there is something that I'm, I'm missing that and I don't know what it is. It's bugging me. So according to Jeff's comment, Clara is doing the whole river song thing, getting progressively younger. Uh, not progressively younger. Oh, it looks like 25, okay. 26, 24. That wouldn't be progressively younger. No. Yeah. I don't, I don't know, know what Mike's put in here. Was there, uh, is there what knows what Mike's? Uh, has anybody mentioned the possible visual references to previous doctors in this episode? Uh, unless you're talking about the change of clothes and so on. Um, perhaps you can put something in text for us, Mike, if you can. Let me play another clip because we we should be going to mm. Perry next. So here we go. Yeah. Hello? Hello? Are you all right? I'm in bed. Yes. Don't remember going? No. What did I miss? Oh, quite a lot, actually. Uh, Angie called. She's going to stay over at Nina's. Apparently that's all completely fine and you shouldn't worry like you always do. For God's sake, get off her back. Also, your dad phoned, mainly about the government. He seems very cross with them. I've got several pages on that. I said I'd look into it. I fixed that rattling noise in the washing machine, indexed the kitchen cupboards, optimised the photosynthesis in the main flower bed and assembled the quadricycle. Assembled the what? I found a disassembled quadricycle in the garage. I don't think you did. I invented the quadricycle. <laughs> what happened to me? Don't you remember? I was scared. I'm really scared. Didn't know where I was. Do you know now? Yes. Well then, you should go to sleep. Because you're safe now, I promise. Good night, Clara. Are you guarding me? Well, yes. Yes, I am. Are you seriously going to sit down there all night? Yeah, I promise. I won't budge from this spot. Well then, I'll have to come to you. Hey. I take the girls inside. And alive? Yes. Alexi, I need you to do something creative about that. I like your house. It isn't mine. I'm a friend of the family. You look after the kids. Oh, yes, you're a governess, aren't you? Just like... Just like what? Just like? I thought you probably would be. You can explain what happened to me. There's something in the Wi-Fi. Okay. This whole world is swimming in Wi-Fi. We're living in a Wi-Fi soup. Suppose something got inside it. Suppose there was something living in the Wi-Fi, harvesting human minds, extracting them. Okay, uh, Mike, uh, Mike was referencing uh, the actual cynic part of uh, Dot Two references, no, not not references to the Doctor himself. Uh, St Paul's Cathedral from Invasion. Uh, the bridge from Dalek Invasion Earth. The motorcycle is referencing either 3 or 8. The plane referencing possibly 5, I suppose, with the um, the uh, Concorde in that one. 
Okay, uh, and that, and we heard there the theme that was mentioned, didn't we? It does sound very fairy tale theme like uh, when I listened to it there. And Ian, do you want to mention what you've written in text? Yeah, the the, the line in the actual the guy says is um, we don't know one another repeatedly uh, of Earl's court. That was an embarrassment. Right. Yeah, because they they are on South Bank, right? Yeah. Right. They they're, they're at South Bank, mm. and he's like, we don't want to. Are you sure? You know, you know, we don't want to know her. Um, you know. Yeah. So you what is that? Led Zeppelin and uh, Led Zeppelin. Well, well there's, there's, there's if you look there, yeah, there's the Led Zeppelin, uh, the Earl's Court. Oh, there's a no. Here it is. I found it. There, there is an right. actual. There, sorry, Ian. There is an actual real life police box standing outside Earl's Court tube station. So they oh. must have gone there and thought it was him. Ah. Uh, Oh, that's, well, that's the joke. I just googled it. I, well, I oh, okay, that's kind of cool. <laughs> Perry, so there you go. For you. That's, that's funny. funny <laughs> oh, that's interesting. All right. Yeah. So that is funny. Yeah. yeah if, if I had known that, that would have been funny. <laughs> well, there so, you go. Yeah. yeah. Some people are too lazy to Google it for themselves, Perry. <laughs> oh, it's a, it, took me, it took me a couple of minutes. I've been googling it for a couple of minutes now. <laughs> so it wasn't the easiest <laughs> thing to find. Okay. That's but in one of the reviews, I was looking at Earl's that. Court, thinking, "What's what's Earl's Court?" But as soon as I put TARDIS in, bing, away you go. Uh, there you go. Okay. You get like thousands of pictures. Well, there you are. <laughs> Click your fingers. That's the other answer to what Dave saying. When they came out on the motorbike, he was supposed to be doing a magic act. Why didn't he say, "Well, for my last trick, click his fingers, and the TARDIS door closed behind him"? Um, and I think the other thing is that. Mm. Corrugated area, so that's the mm. difference between the outer door and the inner door, isn't it? But you're quite right; it, it wasn't done very well. But that, I think that's why they've got this inner gate, like portal inside the TARDIS now. It's so they don't have to paint the inside picture of the TARDIS, either with well, CGI no. or a paint backdrop, so you can't ever see into it. You're going in through like a little corridor. You remember that little archway they've now built. That we saw right, in the snowman. That's not what I would say the production area is. The production area is that when he comes out the first time and the left door, that is you're facing the TARDIS, yeah. the, le- the door that has the telephone in it, um, that one is not open. But you can still see um, a, you can still see into the TARDIS and it's just black, right? Mm-hmm. But then when he comes out... It shows from the back as well, like outside light. Yeah. Light. Yeah, 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 exactly. And when he opens the left door to bring out the the motorcycle, then all of a sudden you can see that that silver corrugated well, hallway yeah. or whatever we're going to call it. But it obviously extends much further back than just the um, I guess the width of the left door. So the fact that it's open or not wouldn't matter to whether you could see it, you know, to some extent. It was clumsy, it's, right? It's, it's clumsy, clumsy, and I guess they just haven't quite worked it out because they did. I'm guessing that had maybe something to do with the fact that they just we we know that the um, the new TARDIS interior wasn't completed for some four months after principal photography started. So it's entirely possible they just they didn't quite know what its dimensions were. They didn't you know they didn't have it all together yet, sort of. So. I don't know, but it, but it still is very obvious and very noticeable. It's one of those things where you're like, wow, that's you. You don't see too many very obvious production errors too much anymore. But that one was glaring. I thought. Okay. Well, he comes out, and the uh, I don't know if it's the left hand door or the right hand door, the one without the phone on it. That's the one 
the one without the phone opens and it just sort of looks dark and then yeah he brings out the motorcycle and both doors are open and you very clearly see the gray sort of corrugated looking thing yeah yeah, and it extends too far to the back of the box for you to think, oh, I, that you wouldn't have been able to see it just because the left door was not open. So mm. it's kind of it's a little bit clumsy. Yeah. Well, I mean, what I don't think that scene is, you know, the door is the, the door is open until they drive away, and then the door is closed. They don't even you don't see the door closed. You just suddenly in the next shot, it's it's closed mm-hmm. as they're driving off. No, that I mean that I don't mind so much because you can imagine in the in the cut, mm. you know, he snapped his fingers. But it, but yeah. as they said, actually, it would have been better and more interesting if he did snap his fingers. I mean, that would have been a clever little line. But yeah, it was not a clever a... scene. I, I don't mind that, it. and it's, it's too bad because that's one of the scenes I really enjoy. I think that is so clever. Actually, you you would think that he would have done that at some point in the past. I mean, you can totally imagine Tom Baker doing that. Totally. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe not Hartnell. Uh, it's been, well, not maybe, definitely not Hartnell. Uh, but you, you know, you can imagine other doctors doing that. So you'd thought Trout- at some point, you know, somebody should have done that. Trouton, particularly. I don't know. Maybe. Mm, don't know. Maybe. But that that it, it's a shame that one of the scenes that I think was one of the strongest, one of the most. Um, that, Transporting, you know, in the sense that you didn't oh. care about it, uh, you know. Oh, Dark, you do see that. You do see the gray thing as soon as they walk out. Clara standing in the doorway. You can see it. It just is really dark. And then um, it kind of, it's really dark when he walks away, but it's there. And, but when both doors hmm. are open, it's really bright, as if there's sunlight shining right into the TARDIS. Yeah. It could have been, yeah. at it right here. I mean, it, it, I mean, that scene only lasted a few minutes, but of course they may have been there for two hours filming that, so maybe the lighting changed in the meantime. But oh. they don't usually, uh, they're usually a bit sharper than that. But uh, mm-hmm. Perry, we've got Perry right now on audio. Uh, do you want to give us your review and your summation? Uh, is Dark done now? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was just yeah, coming back I, with two points. That although I did I have one answer. other question of you, Dave, oh? that... I think only you could answer. Ah, uh, uh, thank you. Did you know? I don't see that. I got to say, Perry, I'm looking at that. I really don't see anything but black back there. But anyway, whatever. Right, right um, when they walk out, and only for a couple uh, of seconds. Yeah. What if I'm looking at, and I don't, I don't see it there. But anyway, whatever. It doesn't oh, matter. I did. Um, that's cool. I mean, you just have a better copy or whatever. But the, um, I, I want to talk about the ident at the beginning. Did you see the ident at the beginning, before the, the episode proper starts? The, the BBC One ident. Yeah, I think I did. Yes, I did. Now, I mean, the copy that I have doesn't have, I don't think, the entirety of that. So, I mean, it clearly is themed into the episode. But do you remember what it said? Or it said something along the lines of, "There is a problem with the Wi-Fi, but don't worry. Please continue viewing." Oh, oh! It says there's a problem with the Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi proceed with viewing or something. Oh, that makes sense. Proceed with viewing. I don't know if it's before that, but okay. Yeah, that was. And the other network comes up with it with the strange language. It's as though somebody's trying to hack BBC One. Well, you know who it is that's trying to hack BBC One. Apparently, it's the Star Wars Galaxy trying to, because they're using pretty much straight-up Arabesh. You know, that was the only thing, too. I was like, really? We're going to steal? On the, on the 
the week that they've taken away the Clone Wars, really we're going to steal from Star Wars and make it even more painful for those of us who are cross fans. That's really bad. <laughs> okay, let's go to Perry because we've still got a few people waiting, and we'll go to Jeff after Perry if we may. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I won't be that long. I think Darth touched on a lot of the things that I was gonna gonna mention actually, and um, but I did I did really enjoy the episode, but I do see Darth's points, especially the references to. And I certainly look for them nowadays. <laughs> the um, the references to earlier Moffat stories uh, that are in there, and especially, you know, I saw the idiot's idiot's lantern references. I don't. That's not a Moffat story, though. I don't think is it. No. And um, and silence in the library, of course, I, that was in there pretty strongly, and and the others. Um, so in a sense, that sort of de- detracted from it um, to me a little bit. But I did enjoy the story. I do like Clara uh, so far. I don't see her so much like Amy. Uh, I see that in the sense that there's a mystery surrounding her and the Doctor wants to figure out what this mystery is sort of thing. I do see that parallel. But in other ways, I really like Clara. And I think that the... um, the interplay between them feels more genuine. And I certainly see that the doctor kind of likes Clara in a way. And so when she's flirting with him, I think he is a little embarrassed by it uh, when she's talking about the snogging box or the snogging booth. And because um, I think he does, I think he is sort of attracted to her. And so I see that more than between him and Amy. You know the way that was like when Amy threw himself threw herself at him. I didn't I didn't think that was genuine at all. It didn't look like anything I would have. I didn't believe it when I saw it. Whereas I might believe it here, but I don't know. I don't think Clara would do that sort of thing. But um, but I can see, you know, I I could see that developing more uh, with her than I could with Amy. Anyway, um, let's see what else did I. Uh, see that that people haven't talked about. Um, looking back at the images, I do sort of see the purplish, <laughs> but uh, but not quite strongly. Um, but in, in his coat, but um, I don't know. I did like I did like the episode. I like I liked Matt Smith in this episode. I thought I thought he was good. I thought the gag at the beginning uh, with the monks was good if perhaps maybe a little, you know, sort of unbelievable that he would be, you know, there in this monastery in 1207, why, you know, painting, um, oil paintings of Clara and things like that. I don't really understand it that much either. That reminded me a bit of um, the wedding of of River Song, you know, when he's in this, um, I guess, this alternate sort of reality where everything's happening at the same time. It sort of reminded me of that. Um, of course, also calling him the Mad Monk and things like that brought up Not the meddling you know, monk. thoughts of the meddling monk and things <laughs> like that in my mind. But anyway, but I forget what they called him um, in the Wedding of River Song. You know, when um, Winston Churchill calls for the uh, for somebody to go and get him, I, I forget what they call him there. But it reminded me of that. 
Wasn't it the seer or something like it, that? Yeah, something like that. I can't recall. But the royal soothsayer. The soothsayer. <laughs> <laughs> but again, you know, he's running off to go look for Clara, so I don't quite understand why he would just hole up in a monastery. He's done so that sort of thing before, I guess, as well, right? When he was going to look for um, for the baby, for River Song as a baby, right? Everybody was expecting he would be running off looking for the baby, but and he just kind of gives up. It's frustrating. Like, Can't find Yeah. <laughs> but he found he. But he did find her. He just didn't know it. Yeah, that's better right. than he thought. <laughs> that's right. That's right. right. Oh yeah, and, hiding and it, in plain sight. I think he was also in a post companion funk. Yeah. Companion, oh, inter- it, companion interrupted. <laughs> something like that. But. Um. I, I thought I, I liked a lot of the little lines, you know, in this episode. I like, you know, I don't, I'm not, what does he say? Uh, I can't predict the future. I just work there. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> some Somehow that sounds familiar to me now that I'm thinking about it, like it's another movie says something like that. Um, it's uh, Star Trek. Boy, yeah, that's right. That's right. Shatner says that. Yeah, in, in yeah. Uh, Star Trek IV. Well, yeah. I'm not from outer space. I just work there. Yeah, yeah, it says something like that. that no, I've, I've got to say I'm really disappointed that, that Jeff didn't beat me to that one. But hey, isn't there isn't a quote like that in Voyager as well? The one where the, the they're back in San Francisco and they go to a an observatory and get that girl to help them. Harry, not Harry, the other the other young guy. Paris. Remember the, Tom Paris. Tom, Tom Paris. Tom Paris. Yeah, doesn't he say something like that to that young girl? At the uh, at the observatory, because he, he gets all the things wrong, doesn't he, with his his vernacular and his taste and his knowledge about pop music and things. Now, Ian, uh, the reason you not. beat me is because I'm eating at the moment. Uh, I well, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I had food in my mouth. There you go. That's no excuse. You should have spit it out. Yeah, a real trekkie would have spit it out. I don't know that Darth actually wanted to give a rating, but Ken certainly did. So, oh. I mean, how did you rate it, Harry? Me or Darth? Well, if Darth wants to come in with a rating, that's fine. But uh, oh, I think that? I would uh, myself for enjoyment I, alone. I would probably give it about four out of five. Uh, I really enjoyed the the anti grav motorcycle. I thought that was a great scene, and I was I was genuinely surprised that it was the robot and not the doctor. Yeah. Um, but it and it made sense when that happened. Um, let's see. Although somebody did point out, I guess um, you or Ian, Dave, pointed out to, about the sonic screwdriver. I don't oh, know. Oh, that was that would be me. That would be me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the fact like, that. that, that Going up, the, uh, going up the side of the shard, he's using it to presumably find out the source of where the, the signal's coming from. In other words, that woman's office. So he went in at the right window. So it was a working sonic screwdriver. Um, but whether the doctor gave him a, another one or whether he's lost it in the shard, or as I think Ian commented, maybe uh, you know, Unit gave it him back. Yeah, uh, sorry, yeah I, I think the doctor yeah, actually called like Unit eventually. You know, Unit showed up right at the right moment. Hmm, interesting. So if they 
found it there, they probably returned it to the doctor. Yeah, they, she said something. The, um, the the woman said something to the great intelligence about unit and being yeah. friends must be friends of the doctor and great intelligence yeah. says very good friends or something like that. Right. And it's um, yeah. What's that? It's apt that they should show up in the story. You know. Oh, nice definitely. That, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay. what was the other thing that I pointed out? Well, the, the only other thing I pointed out was the fact that um, everybody could be re-downloaded into their bodies, but it seemed like they didn't need the um, the the robot things to do that. It just happened, you know, globally from from the um, what's it called the the, the shard. Well, I mean, the, the the point I raised, I think it was last night when we were talking, was that she did state that they were everywhere. That they, they yeah. Things, these uplinks or remote stations everywhere. But the little effect they did seemed to show it coming from the shard and not from, you know, like like a person just happened to be right. standing, a robot thing happened to be standing nearby, and it would, you know... And so I think it was when they were in the cafe thing that the, the, the one there basically... Um, they sparkle like they show off. She bounced around to a different one. She goes, you never know who, you know, who yeah, it is yeah. and, and everywhere. So. Yeah, but I think I would have preferred to have seen, you know, sort of the, of, not that you would really see it anyway, you know, but yeah. of like some kind of beam coming from just a random person, you know. Like if you've seen the guy from the beginning with the warning notice being beamed back into his body from a, a spoon head. Yeah, we well, saw like it with that. Clara, and when Clara was in the hallway, that. you saw it being right. back into her, didn't you? Right. Yeah, yeah, in, her, in the, the house, for the, for the, the, near the, the beginning. Back down, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'll just leave it there. Okay. Right. Well, uh, I'll play another clip, and then we'll go to uh, Jeff. What a victory, Robbie! Too showy office. What the hell's going on? Well. I'm blocking your Wi-Fi, so you're waking up for a start. Tell you what, do you want to drive? I don't understand. What's happened? That box. Where's it gone? Find that box! Okay. When are you going to explain to me what the hell is going on? Breakfast. I ain't waiting till breakfast. It's a time machine. You never have to wait for breakfast. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, magic blue box. All donations gratefully accepted. Roll up, roll up. Give us your dosh. Oh, pennies, pounds, anything you've got. Keep picking. We need enough for breakfast. Just popping back to the garage. What's happening? Blue box, South Bank. Definitely wasn't there five minutes ago. Are we sure this time? If you've got flying time machine, why are we on a motorbike? I don't take the TARDIS into battle. Because it's made of wood. Because it's the most powerful ship in the universe and I don't want it falling into the wrong hands. Okay. I do love London. So many cameras. They've got to be closed. 
definitely London going by the signal distribution. I can hack the lowest level of their operating system, but I can't establish a physical location. The security is too good. Are you an alien? I am. Yes, okay with that. Fine, yeah. I think I'm fine. Oh, good. So, what happens if you do find them? What happens then? I don't know. I can't tell the future. I just work there. You don't have a plan? Oh, you know what I always say about plans? What? I don't have one. Some nice little points in there. Uh, now, um... Uh, Jeff's not quite ready. Uh, Kobo, uh, are you okay to go now, or do you want me to play the the the, the review that you you handed to us when you thought you might not make the show? I'm fine to go. Okay. Um, I love this episode. It felt more like an RTD episode, as Ken mentioned, and I'm surprised nobody mentioned the new time rotor yet. And um. Am I alone in loving that the new Time Rotor has old High Gallifreyan written on it? Well, didn't we one... mention that? Didn't we mention that when we did the review of the Snowman? I think so. But it's very nifty. I thought we spent a long time on the new console and room, but uh, uh, maybe that was an episode you missed. I did miss that one. Yes. Uh, I think we talked about it for about half an hour, if I remember rightly. Yeah, yeah we, we weren't supposed to talk about it, but we did. If you haven't, please do. Of course. But I just, I just loved it. I don't necessarily love the TARDIS for a lot of the reasons that Darth pointed out, but I do love the new Time Rotor, and I thought I might be in the minority on that one, but... I don't know how everybody else feels, but apparently if I go back and listen to the snowman, I'll find out how everybody else feels. Um, but this is to rank in... This is certainly one of the better episodes in the Matt Smith era, I have to say. Um, I don't know whether... That's just me being generally happy and out of out of pain because my pain level does tend to color my reviews to some extent. Um, but it did have a lot of old school Doctor and Donna feel to it. I have a feeling Clara is going to be another Donna and not a love-struck puppy like Amy Rose or, God forbid, Martha. Um, I just love the episode, love the hoverbike. And love the whole concept of Wi-Fi. Using Wi-Fi to control people. And as I mentioned in the review that I had recorded, um, it makes a lot more sense why the Daleks chose her to be a human Dalek given computer and machine-like skills so that 
does go a long way in explaining Asylum, Asylum of the Daleks. If if that's the same fire, of course, because that happens at a time when Earth has space travel, so obviously quite a bit, a bit in the future. But it's a lot more likely that this is the same Clara than the Victorian era Clara. Well, well, but don't forget, she this Clara gets uh, completely uploaded after that period of time where she gets uploaded and then downloaded. Uh, so we don't know what happens to her knowledge about computers after the download. You know, after that second download. She could have had it wiped away from her. When they hit the reset button, as Perry said, the reset well, she might have, you know, all upgrades. If you've ever upgraded your computer and then go back with a system yeah, restore, maybe. you lose the upgrade, don't you? Maybe, but we don't know exactly how that would affect her because no. she's yeah. not hooked to the system, but there definitely is another time after she displays computer use where she is uploaded to the system completely and then you know she would have been downloaded after that though so, i mean you're right though well dave because what's her name is downloaded too right um the the Celia Emery character she's downloaded you know at, at the same time um, she's back to being and, a young baby and, yeah. and then hits the wait is that when she hits the reset button after she gets redownloaded or not? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Then yeah, then she's back to factory defaults and she'd be back to where she was to start with apparently. But I mean it is Moffat, so it, this could be yet another But you she's know, released loosened. released by the great intelligence, that's the thing. She's she's still all right. It's the great intelligence that doesn't have a need for her anymore. That but puts they, her back. They they instruct her to hit the factory reset. Yeah. So, because, uh, remember, one of the guys there only came to fix the lift or something, and he was back from mm-hmm. being a computer operator to a fixed lifter, a lifter fix, uh, you know what I mean? You're right. Yeah, There's so... Plumber. Yeah, plumber, whatever. But, but, yeah. But in that yeah. scene, we see all those workers, they, they, um, they kind of shriek, and when this happens... We don't see Clara doing that when the reset button is hit. I think the factory so I don't know. reset. I think it's exactly. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm thinking as well, Ian. It's just for that those after her, you're right, that you're have right. some knowledge of what's going on with the great intelligence. Okay. That pad just seems to, seem to be for her to manipulate the staff rather than anybody else. Right, but beyond the issue of the factory reset button, there still is the question of when she was uploaded into the system. What did they do to her at that point? Did they take away her knowledge? Did they give her some additional knowledge? That part, I guess, we don't know yet. And what and what are they retaining? That might lead yeah. to a new or a previous episode we've already seen that might fill right. in. Uh, it gives some credence to to the, the fact that uh, a later Clara might have that sort of ability, I suppose, because we don't know how they're connected, do we, Kobo? I think that's what you meant. Yeah. No, and I think the TARDIS um, does um, retain, help you retain knowledge that will help you. Because we've seen the TARDIS heal people before, and others will not really heal people, but instant translation and other things 
to help people out, so it does affect people neurologically. Actually, we did see the TARDIS heal people in the TV movie. And also, didn't it get rid of those um, Dalek nano things uh, out of um, that when when uh, Amy was being transformed? Yeah. Did but it reverse that process? But what I'm saying is, the TARDIS may well have helped Clara retain her computer knowledge. That's why I brought that up. Okay. Um. And it did feel like coming coming home again. It was like an RTD episode. I've always loved Matt Smith. I haven't always loved Stephen Moffat's direction of Matt Smith, but if this is the shape of things to come, I'm very, very excited indeed. So, five out of five TARDIS grunts for me. Wow. Very, very, right. very, very cool. Yeah. Okay. Right, um, I, I'm going to play another clip and then I'm going to ask if Jeff will put in text whether he's able to speak after it. Just let me show you what control of the Wi-Fi can do for you. Stop. Stop! I saw what you can do last night. And clear! We can have anyone in the Wi-Fi once they've been exposed long enough. So there's one of your walking base stations here, somewhere close. There's always someone close. There's something up with the webcams. <laughs> I don't know who you are or why you're doing this, but the people of this world will not be harmed. They will not be controlled. They will not the be... The people of this world are in no danger whatsoever. My client requires a steady diet of living human minds. Healthy, free-range human minds. He loves and cares for humanity. In fact, he can't get enough of it. I'm sure of it. Someone's hacking the webcams. All of them. Everybody check your webcams. But what would be the point? Taking mugshots of us, lot. Who's on Facebook? Uh, uh, Bebo, MySpace, Habbo. Put your hands down if you didn't mention where you were. I'm going to end this today. How? You don't even know where we are. Who's doing this? Who is your client? Hmm? Answer me. Miss Kislev, we have a problem. Oh, I did it. I really did. You did it. I did it. I found them. You found them? The shard. They're in the shard. Floor 65. Floor 65. Are you listening to me, Doctor? I found them. I'm listening to you. You found them. We've got her. This time we've really got her. 
Okay. Um, yes, Perry, I am. Uh, but I must admit, I only go up there to post my uh, little bits and pieces about Cultum and uh, Big and Fruity, of course. But uh, Jeff is available, I believe. Yes, I am. I, I really like this story. Um, like Ken and Kobo, I too felt that it had an RTD feel to it. And uh, last week, um, I alluded to that in a way, and uh, that I was talking about how Clara, we're seeing Clara being introduced three different ways. And well, we had that with Donna in a way as well. We had two introductory stories for Donna, not exactly the same circumstances, but here again, um, it's that kind of theme again, where we have uh, a character introduced more than once. And just like Donna, this story also, in a way, felt like partners in crime to me. Uh, have a, a female protagonist, and um, in, in the case of partners in crime, it was Donna looking for the doctor. In this case, it was the doctor looking for Donna or for Clara, excuse me. <laughs> but uh, in many ways, you have similar themes going on there. Um, but this, to me, was the idiot's, idiot's lantern done right. Uh, never did care for the Idiot's Lantern that much. Uh, it just felt like that story was off for me. It, it never clicked for me. This one did. Um, one of the first things I want to mention, though, is did, and, and no one's mentioned it yet, did anyone notice uh, that the um, theme was different, the theme music? There's slight differences for, with it from uh, the Snowmen. Hmm? Yeah, I was gonna. I was. I was meaning to go back and listen because I thought it wasn't quite the way I remembered it, but I you know, didn't do a side by side comparison yet. Well, as um, uh, the theme was playing last night while we, my wife and I were watching the story, I was kind of uh, going along with it, you know, in my head. And there was a, a cue there at the near the beginning of the theme that wasn't there in this one. So uh, th there are little differences in the theme in this one, and. I, I almost think we have more variations of the theme song uh, since 2005 than we ever did in 1963 to 89 or even uh, 96. I don't know why they keep playing with the theme, but it seems like they change it even subtly uh, lots of times. Um, I was interested in the title of Amelia Williams' book, uh, Summer Falls, is that a reference to Silence Will Fall or Ooh. The Fall of the 11th? Maybe, maybe not. Coincidence, you never know with Moffat. Um, I loved, uh, this, despite what other people have said, I loved the, the console room. Um, at least the way they filmed it in this story, it felt a lot more expansive than it did in The Snowman. It, in The Snowman, it, it felt tiny, small, and got that line from Clara in that story about it uh, being smaller on the outside and kind of reference, you know, to the smaller console room. Um, here it felt like, uh, especially the way the camera moved around and filming, looking up at the ceiling and how you had the multiple levels, it just felt a lot bigger than it did in, in The Snowman. And you got to see, I think, more of the console itself. And to me, that is how the console should look. Uh, going back, 
has a lot of a feel of the um, the classic series console, and uh, my heart just you know it was it just felt great seeing that. I just loved that. Um, also, interestingly enough, uh, the console room it's filmed a little bit different than what we've seen from most of the history of Doctor Who. Uh, the main way of filming it is with the exit door to the outside on the right instead of on the left. If you look, if you remember back, most of the time we see the the exit doors on the left side of the console. Here we have it on the right side. So th that's just what? an interesting. Well, so it wasn't on the right side. It's on the right well, side going in, but it was on the left side coming out. When, when she's about to leave, when he he said it, it's it's always breakfast because it's a time machine. They're going out exiting left. Yeah. I well, mean, it's a circle in the middle, so it just depends on where you put your cameras as to yeah, whether it's exactly. on the right or the left. But most of the way we've seen this filmed, the doors are on the right. At least that's my perception of it, and. All the history of the, of the show, um, except for maybe the TV movie, the, the doors have been on the left side. I always got the impression that the doors were behind you in the TV well, film. I mean, that's sort of a function of the fact that in the early days of Doctor Who, of course, it's a three-ball set. So exactly. you got to put your, you know, but that's that doesn't mean that the doors themselves are necessarily on the right or the left. If you're standing in the old say you're on five starters. If you're standing on the wall that is most opposite the camera and you're looking toward the camera, then the door is on your right. Just depends on your perspective. It's not really that. That's another thing. Yeah. We'll have to watch it all again, folks. But yeah, I, I didn't see it like that. But um, it obviously mm. uh, struck record with you. Yeah. 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 Just. Based on the, you know the, most of the scenes that we've seen, the interior it looked like to me the doors are on the right side from the camera. Well, there was another set of doors that right lead to the interior of the TARDIS from the camera's perspective, Darth. But Jeff, I mean, to me that those were the doors that went back into the other rooms of the TARDIS were on the right, and the the doors that lead outside were always on the left. I don't think I've ever seen them on the right. That's what he's saying. Well, if, if, okay, I've, right now on my desktop... You see them walking computer, out to the right. The, the camera is facing the console, and the doors yeah. are off to the right. Where's, I, I, I think the primary location... Uh, this was from the snowman. Oh, the snowman. Right. Now, now, I realize the camera was in various positions in this story, but again, primarily, I felt that the camera... Was positioned with the doors to the right, where we've seen it mostly with the doors to the left. My perception, and maybe I'm off on that, but that's just how I felt. But was that the scene where they then panned up to show the uh, the revolving things at the top? Maybe the position there so they could do that upward view. That's possible. That's possible. Of where the dials were revolving. I, I think it's. I'm looking I at mean, the actual one shots of, from the episode. I'm looking for that. Yeah, I, don't know. yeah, I mean, I think the the interesting thing about this set, maybe, and indeed, I think this is something that, and Jeff, you have a point. It, I'm not suggesting that you don't, because I think you're absolutely right in that there are shots within this episode where you see the 
the doors on your right, and that is somewhat unusual, somewhat, for Doctor Who. But I think it is, if I could say one thing about what Andy Sr., director Andy Sr., did for Doctor Who in like the little episodes like Space and Time and the National Television Association sketch um, and the things that basically got him the gig to direct Let's Kill Hitler and certainly within Let's Kill Hitler too is that he decided he was going to do something more radical with the camera and pull it behind what we would consider most opposite of the door. And what that generally did, since he was going down behind and a little bit to the right, if you're looking at the door, he put his camera behind and a little bit to the right. What that did was it subtly shifted the door to the right of where his camera was. And I think since then, you have seen some shots where the door is definitely on the right of the frame. But having said that, you will find examples, like you say, and like you've observed within this episode, where the door is on the right. But you've also got like the whole end scene and in the end scene the door is definitely on the left uh, because the cameras are sort of up the stairs kind of they're actually looking toward the door but they're on the the door is again yeah. on the left but I, I think you're right to observe that there, there's no question but that there are I'm using different angles the, yeah. absolutely using different angles and I think that this is even though I don't really like this set really don't like this set uh, I think that Pickwode has achieved something that is akin to what they achieved with the five doctor set. The the reason for the five doctors redesign was they finally got it done in a modular way so that you could put that set together in no time flat. And it was a big um, triumph for the scene shifters. I mean, it was a terrible thing for production design where you're letting your scene shifters determine what the design is. That's a horrible idea. But it was something that they wanted to get done. So at that moment, you had a change in the way the set moved so that you could put it together any way you wanted to. Any flat could go any place, and it didn't matter. You couldn't screw up putting the set together. And I think what, what's happened with Pickwood here is that he's taken – some of the criticism of the previous set, which was that it was oblong and that made for sort of difficult shots in a lot of ways. And he's made it much more circular. He's made it much easier to put cameras kind of anywhere and get shots from a lot of different angles. And so we're seeing the fruition of that. So I think you've observed something correctly, but it is not always on the right. Yeah. We also mentioned that when, on that program, the fact that the, the floor area that they they want was much more camera friendly, so they could get in with those steady cams or whatever within that area. So I, I think you've, I, I think you spotted something that we perhaps haven't, uh, Jeff. So kudos. Thank you, Dave. Uh, and and Darth's quite right, and Perry as well. That you know the camera is in different spots, and the door does appear in different positions or related to the, where the camera is. Uh, so I, I think we're all right in this case. Well, in that um, scene where they go running in, you know, and then, you know, they they dematerialize and materialize on the airplane. Certainly, the camera follows them in and follows them to the the, the side opposite the doors, and then goes back around again. So you get this impression that you're going all the way around, mm-hmm. you know, the interior of the console room. So right. And something that... Certainly uh, they're playing around with the angles. 
Something else about that scene, when they exit the TARDIS into the plane, that is very jarring. I don't know if anyone noticed that, but mm-hmm. there's there's a... I did. It was not a smooth transition at all. Yeah. There's there's like a break where the doctor goes in front of the camera, and yeah. it's very jarring on how that's done. It, it doesn't look seamless. Even No, even the color of the TARDIS seems to change suddenly. Like you can yeah. see, you can almost see the shot, you know, change from one to the other. I noticed that too. I'm looking at uh, it right it, here, actually. They could have done that a lot better. Yeah. But but overall, I, I liked how it was filmed, uh, the in, the interior as opposed to how we saw it in Snowman. I thought it was much better done. It, it just made it look more spacious. I'm wondering about one part of the story. Um, at one part, uh, one portion of the story, the doctor leaves the laptop, Clara's laptop, sitting inside on the TARDIS console as he leaves. And then he comes back later and gets it. I'm wondering if that is setting up something for later. Anyone else caught that? Well, I did notice that. He grabs it before he gets on the motorcycle, I think. Yeah, they went to breakfast yeah. and then they went to that cafe yeah. and they're using it there, right? Mm-hmm. I, I just wonder if that yeah, is he runs. He gets up. it when he goes in to get the motorcycle. If that's going to set up something later, that uh, the great intelligence is going to do something. Oh, you mean somehow got more. into the TARDIS somehow? Mm. And and that might. Uh, if, if you know I know episode, I know where you're going with this. I think but, I, yeah. if you know the episode titles that are coming up, and I'm not going to mention what those titles are, uh, that might be setting up something. You think we'll finally find out who blew up the TARDIS? Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> no, no, I, my mind wasn't even going there. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah. All right. Good. Well, that would be great. Yeah, it would be great to find <laughs> out. I don't know if we're ever going to find out. And who that voice is. Well, that, that, I think yeah. that addresses something that, that Darth mentioned, uh, the, that the foe was easily vanquished in this one. I mean, I think this is just a skirmish, well, a second skirmish with the Great Intelligence, because obviously that was the, the, the foe in the snowman. So, uh, and uh, and again, I don't know why they keep doing it. It's like these every time you see a Batman movie, they relaunch in Batman. Well, I know we, we've just had a trilogy of them, so that, that wasn't too bad. Um, with Superman, it almost seems as though they have to set Doctor Who up again for a new batch of new viewers uh, and so uh, I mean I think uh, Stephen Moffat actually fitted an awful lot into this one which made the fact that the resolution again had to be a little bit of an easy resolution it seems a little bit like dinosaurs on a spaceship you know where you basically just hit the reset button and um, mm-hmm. you've, you've sorted it but anyway go on Jeff and um, when when you're ready, get to it, whatever your rating would be. Okay. Uh, the music, I I thought, was just brilliant in this story. Uh, I'm usually a fan of Murray Gold's music, but in this one, I, I think it just really came out very, very well. And I actually liked Claire's theme. Um, I, I didn't care for it too much in the Christmas story, but in this one, I think it really shines uh, how how it's played in the various scenes that it is played in, and I look forward to hearing it more often. And the variations on "I Am the Doctor" theme uh, that that Mary Gold did, I thought were just beautiful. Uh, the the music just really shines in this one. I don't usually comment on the music, but uh, it really um, 
captured my imagination in this one. It caught my attention. So I really did like the music here. Uh, something that we've already talked about a little bit is why was Clara, in Clara's book, the ages 16 and 23 not written in there? That's uh, kind of interesting to, to note. And I, I think we may find out why later in the series. Now, we've already talked about Clara's age and the other two stories that we've seen her in. She was 26 in The Snowmen and 25 in um, Asylum of the Daleks. So we know her, she's 24 here. What's going on with those other two ages? And uh, again, as we've already talked about, what does the leaf symbolize? She said that's page one of the places, apparently, of where she wants to go. Or maybe she's gone there already. I, I, I don't think that was quite clear. Well, if she brought the leaf back from it, she must have been. That's well, my think, theory. You, you might she be brought right that back as a momentum, yeah. Momentum. You might be right. Or maybe somebody she knows went there and brought that to her and she said, I'd, I'd like to go there myself. I'm seeing that some people, and by seeing, I mean on the Internet, that some people are saying, it's because the prequel is set at fall, and we're meant to believe that is a leaf that she has taken from the playground. See, that's what but, I, I was thinking when I saw the leaf, to be honest, Darth, but is that no, it was a... But, um, yeah, but there's no, there's no clear scene where she looks at a leaf yeah. or interacts with a leaf or does anything with a leaf, so it's right. kind of fuzzy, but that's what people are saying. And, yeah, I wanted. I haven't done it, but I was wanting to go back and watch the prequel again to see if she picks up a leaf in it. I, I yeah, there doesn't seem to be anything. I, no, there's nothing. There. But the 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 thing that I like, and I I don't I don't buy this really, but I love this as a possibility that people are saying again. This is on Calvary Bay, so you know, take that with ten thousand pounds of salt. Um, <laughs> that it is an homage to Sidney Newman. That it's a Canadian leaf, and it's the first page in the story of Doctor Who. Which, even if that's not true, which I don't think it's true, it would be lovely to think that that is sort of somehow related to you know the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who. But it's, I mean, clearly there's no narrative for that or anything. But as a bit of symbolism, I guess you could read it like that. But it it is mysterious to say the least, and I, I hope. That there isn't that we're not meant to have an answer because I don't see an answer. But I hope we're, that that is something that we will get explained to us later on, and that this is not another one of those you know who blew up the TARDIS sort of moments that will never or or worse you know why are Amy and Rory standing over there waving back at Amy and Rory kind of moments. Um, I hope it's something that gets explained. Yeah, I'm with you, Darius. I I don't want any unanswered questions once the storyline is completed. We've had too many of those. Yes, we mm -hmm. have. Yes, we have. Um, in a very Doctor Who-ish moment, I, I love the bit where the Doctor was explaining to Claire about all of her phone calls that she missed, and he took the messages for, particularly the one about her dad phoning and complaining about the government. And I just wonder if that was an in-joke about the government. You'd never context. do that, Jeff, would you? <laughs> no, I wouldn't. Sorry. <laughs> I just wondered if it was some sort of in-joke with the government cutbacks for for the BBC. 
Uh, well, Mike is oh, also. It just sounds like the description a, of 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 somebody's father, though. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there are things that that my father goes on and on about. You know, I could write on write down for page, pages worth <laughs> all the time. But he's seventy nine years old, so that's what people do at that age. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Mike has just asked uh, when he speculated about who gave Clara the doctor's number, and I think darted a little bit. I mean, uh, yeah. we don't know whether it's um, one of the past companions working in the shop. Um, you don't know. But not really, Mike. We haven't. I hope it's Ace just to prove how little she's done with her life. Oh, that's cruel. That's cruel. <laughs> oh, wait, no, she's dead. That's right. I forgot she got killed. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> See what you've done, Mike. See what you've done. <laughs> I have my theories on who that person might be, the woman in the shop, but well, it's I'll just a theory. Well, yeah, I'll just leave it. What was that one? Yeah, okay. River. Well, that's one of my thoughts. Yeah. Um, the the spoon heads kind of reminded me of the nodes in the library, mm. and I wonder if that's a hint to anything. Um. And then you got the whole silence in the library thing. That's some sort of reference that we didn't know at the time to the silence. And I think we've talked about that before, but I just see some things tying in together here, maybe. Maybe. You never know. Um, but the last bit I wanted to talk about is uh, I, I think it's been referenced already today a, a little bit is that the tech support, the IT role that the doctor was having with Claire over the phone, because I worked in IT and I worked as a customer representative um, for technology type things before, and I've done it over the phone. And I, I, when I saw that that scene, I just thought that was hilarious uh, because I could see myself doing the same things that the doctor was doing, rolling his eyes and all that. It was it was just hilarious. Um, overall, I, I thought that was it was a very good episode. It was very entertaining, kept my interest, and uh, I, I think I'll give it a, a four out of five. Excellent. And, and by the way, my TARDIS, who's had to drop out, has put um, my score is four also. Well, four, and they're going to listen to the rest of the podcast, and they enjoyed being here. So thank you for that, my TARDIS. So is is that your contribution for now done, Jeff? Yes. Yes, uh, oh, I, we can okay. move to the next person. Right, well, I'll play a clip, and then I think uh, Ian might have his say. Download her. Sorry about the draft. Download her back into her body right now. I can't. Yes, you can. She's a fully integrated part of the data cloud now. She can't be separated. Then download the entire cloud. Everyone you've trapped in there. You realise what would happen? Yes, those still with bodies to go home to would be free. A tiny number. Most would simply die. They'd be released from a living hell. It's the best you can do for them. So give the order. And why would I do that? Because I'm going to motivate you. Any second now. You ridiculous man. Why did you even come here? Whatever for? I didn't. What? I'm still in the cafe. I'm finishing my coffee. Lovely spot. What are you talking about? You had people, but me. I'm old-fashioned. I have technology. 
Here's your motivation. Fully integrated now. Let's download the entire cloud. We can't do that. No, we can't. to go yes i am indeed um i like that but actually um except for one 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 point in there um where the doctor hacks the guy to to make him do what he's supposed to i wish they had just done it um because that would have all it required the doctor to do was to put her in the same position as everybody basically do to her what she had done to everybody else and that you know was the motivation enough uh hacking the guy to make him actually you know, give the order, that to me was one step too far, you know, I think we could have done without it, um, you know, there's a button he pushed, you know, rather than just using their technology against them, the doctor pushed the magic button, um, but anyway, uh, it's a good episode, I really enjoyed it, we, um, Dave and, uh, Perry and I, uh, ran into each other online last night, we had a bit of a chat first about it, um, Definitely a good start. I'm not expecting too much more. Uh, I've become quite um, jaded in my Moffat viewing that um, for every episode I get, there's probably going to be a couple I just really don't like. So, and, and I try not to look at all these questions because uh, the same point there is that we don't get things answered that, that he poses, and I don't know why. Um, I'd just like for him to go sit down one time and say, you know, there was this thing, there was that thing, and I didn't answer them, and I'm sorry. I'm not going to give you an answer because it seemed like a good idea at the time, but now it just seems like pants. You know, that would be nice. Just admit that that, it's, that we're never going to find these things out. Um, you know, it's, uh, uh, one of the things I uh, did, uh, thought about last night was uh, this progression from um, of, of Clara. That it does seem to be in a way linear as far as um, Earth time goes. Uh, You've got her as a, as a governess, um, and then of course the next instance, which is you know uh, present day, uh, that's kind of carried over into her character, and then she gets uploaded, uh, gets this internet knowledge, you know all this knowledge dumped into her, which enables her to hack, which then bleeds into the next uh, instance of Clara. So we seem to have this uh, progression from you know each Clara going forward in time. So whether that means anything or not, I don't know. But, you know, I just find it interesting that she wasn't internet savvy at all until this happened. And then, of course, that, that whole thing comes up in uh, in uh, the Dalek story. That, you know, anyway. <laughs> uh, I, I like the new TARDIS. I didn't like the old one at all. I thought it was 
stupid. Um, like the new console, I just wish it was a little brighter. I don't like these uh, dark and dingy TARDIS console things. Um, at least that's what the other one had. It was uh, at least it was brighter in there. Um, but they had the ability in, in uh, the Coral One to, to to have this kind of you know mood lighting, and then you could brighten it all up. Uh, I just like to see that happen. And this, I'd like to see, you know. It, it kind of reminds me of when you go to GPS and you're driving at night and it kind of dims the light down and, and makes it all blues and you know blacks and stuff, so it's not too bright in your car. It's kind of like he's running on you know those kind of lights inside. You have to like turn the lights on, crying out loud. But again, um, I think it kind of reflects the Doctor's current mood. Hmm. Yeah, but I'd still like to see a little more light so I could see things in a little more detail. It's it's almost like they're trying to, you know, um, you know, mood lighting type type thing helps to, you know, <laughs> to cover up decorating mistakes. You know, you can't see all these things on the wall because there's no shadows cast. Um, I like the new coat. Um, I, I, um, I didn't really like the the uh, 11th Doctor's first costume. Um, I didn't like the boots and the pants and stuff. I like this. It's a little more, a little more dressy, a little more uniform-like. And I know that the Doctor's not always really wearing uniform, but it's the era I grew up with. You know, with Doctor Head, certain you know things. And I, I, I like, I like, and I like the purple. Um, yeah, I thought the other one was a bit, a little scruffy side. And another thing I didn't mention about the bow tie. Lest we forget the Big Bang. The bow tie is one of the things that made. Amy remember who the doctor was. So in a way, the bow tie is a magical item. Yeah, but they're making too much out of it now. You know, the scarf, at least. I mean, when we had the scarf, the scarf was the scarf, and it was. I mean, the doctor used it for things, and it, you know, it got caught on things, and people caught him by it, and he caught things with it. At least it had some functionality. The bow tie has just become this. Oh, bow ties, bow ties are cool. Oh, bow ties, bow ties are cool. And now it's just beginning, you know, it shows the the age of the viewership where, you know, um, everything gets turned into a meme. Now, you know, bow ties are cool as a meme. Uh, I wear a fez now, fezes are cool to me. It's like, you know, it's, it, they're just kind of playing into the whole thing, which is, you know, I, I agree with Darth. The, 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 the box was a step too far. He should have just thrown on a bow tie. It's making too much of it. Um, Let's see, things that I didn't like. So, oh, I liked the fact that, I mean, I haven't been actively looking at stuff on the internet. If I see stuff that's, you know, released, I'll go look. If somebody tells me something, it's fine. But the fact that the great intelligence was behind this was a nice surprise to me um, in an age where we tend to find out much more about the episode than we wanted to know before it actually airs. Um, it was nice to be surprised at the end and go, oh, hey, it was the great intelligence. You know, we knew it was... Boonheads, uh, bad guys in the Wi-Fi. It's like, oh, okay. That sounds like a... Yeah, it was the beginning of a... Um, it's like the introductory story all over again. It's nothing that's um, too terribly dangerous, but, you know, so you don't expect a returning monster or anything like that, um, or villain. But uh, here we get the great intelligence at the end. It was quite nice. Um, uh, wish they'd made a little bit more out of the... The the woman who was in charge. It's quite sad that you know when when she was reset, you know he had been controlling her, or you know making use of her for such a long time. Um, 
and it was quite quite sad but it was just so glossed over um you know it would have been nice to have a little little more to that you know but uh, you know it's rather it, like it what they did with Richard Grant and that but both of these these two people were taken as children right yes yeah. oh. um but it, it, it just you know it's I wish we you know like they'd taken their fingerprint and maybe they'd made a little bit more of it you know not I don't want too much spent on it but just you know to find out that she, she was a child that had gone missing or you know her parents died or what just a little background would have been nice it's one of those things that sometimes is just missing from Moffat stories where he just forgets um to put in the uh, the the not so important well the important details I think you know the little uh, bits of character that, that he just tends to overlook altogether in in the way of making uh, people so important uh, I've got to agree with you there it's, Dave it's, yeah here we go we got a mystery companion again why do they always have to be a mystery why do they have to be so important why can't they just be a companion I'm glad she's resistant to, to being the TARDIS. You know, it's like, well, why would I want to go with you? Um, I'm going to save the, the, the tea thing for Dave. Um, and reminding you there that, that you're going to bring that up. Yep. <laughs> yep, I am. Um, I, 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 I do love the uh, the, the shard, um, the, the whole motorcycle going up there. And, and, and just a little bit where he says, you know, you, happen, you, you overlooked <laughs> the word I said earlier, anti-grav. And it's the button, and I'm just like, yes. <laughs> and the reveal, he takes the, the, the helmet off, and he's a spoonhead. And I thought that was very, very clever because I didn't see it coming. And when I don't see it coming, it's clever. <laughs> I like being surprised in, in TV shows. And you're uh, clever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, it's nice to know that I didn't, I didn't beat, you know, the story to the punchline. Um, I'm not saying I'm very clever. I'm just saying it's like the action and everything going on, it managed to sweep me up in the story and I didn't bother mm. to think about, you know, what he was going to do when he got up there, you know. And uh, I, I like the interplay between the two of them. She's sorry about the draft and you know, she's awfully cocky and everything. Um, yeah, it, was, it, was, it was a nice little episode. Uh, again, you know, my, my, my problems are that, you know, there's all these little hints dropped. Who's the woman in the shop that gave Clara the number? The other times the doctors come across her, you know, um, in, in, in a kind of happenstance way. This was a direct push, you know, rather than the doctor seeking her out. She got patched directly through to the doctor. Now that's just... That, that bugs me because it's one of those things that are we even going to get an answer to this? You know, why did the TARDIS blow up? Who is controlling it? So many things that have just been left by the wayside, and, you know, I'm getting tired of it. I want to know answers. If you're going to pose a question, give us an answer. Don't, you know, leave us hanging. Uh, so I've, I, I hope he's got a way out of this one. Um, I really like Matt Smith's Doctor. I just would like to see somebody else um, behind Matt Smith's Doctor to see what else he could do, you know. I like him as a, I like that doctor. Just wish it was somebody else, you know, running the show. Just cause, you know, some of the things I think that I don't like about the show at the moment are because of Stephen Moffat. And I'm not anti Moffat. Don't get me wrong. I, I do sound like that, but everybody's got their favorite um, 
producers, writers, directors, and you know, I'm not I'm not a huge fan of the Pertwee era at all. Um, and it's it's the same thing here. You know, I really like the Russell T Davies era. That was my kind of Doctor Who. This not so much. Um, but yeah, there was there was lots of fun in this, and uh, and yeah, it was a, a good enjoyable. It was nice to have Unit in there. You know, the surprise at the end was cool. Um, like that Clara just kind of just said, well, come back tomorrow. <laughs> and it was, uh, oh, there was uh, something that she said on the way out the TARDIS. Um, and, I, and it just grated on my nerves. Uh, I'll probably find it when Dave's talking and uh, tell you what it was. Uh, just She just uh, used a piece of slang that just did not seem to fit. Um I had it before and I've lost it. Um, anything you can remember that I brought up yesterday and forgot, Dave? <laughs> well, let me play. Let, let me play a clip. See, if it, uh, you, your memory gets jogged in the moment. All right. Doctor. Doctor. You have no right to be in this office, and I am demanding that you leave at once. This building is under units' control. What is units? Never heard of you. I suggest you calm down, sir. Units are here. Friends of the Doctor, I presume. Oh, old friends. Very old friends. Then I appear to have failed you, Great Intelligence. I have feasted on many minds. I have grown. But now, it is time for you to reduce. You've been whispering in my ear so long. I'm not sure I remember what I was before. Goodbye, Miss Kislet. voice to get kids yeah, said to her. It's, it was like uh, no but I'm wondering is it was it on purpose? Yeah. Um, must be. Yeah. So wait, why that, are you it, thinking that? Well What's in, wrong with in, the, uh, the it's, snowman well, it's she, bad English, she, so Yeah, she did her, her <laughs> she did her cockney for the, the kids when she was working at the bar. Was it ain't in cockney or just ain't? 
Well, it was more Mary Poppinsy, wasn't it? It was old-fashioned English. Really? It wasn't in I, keeping. I didn't. I didn't detect that. I just thought she should have said the word ain't. It, did, it, 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 it it jarred with me for some reason, and maybe Dave's hmm. right. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. Is that not is that not commonly said in modern English? It didn't seem to be um, applicable to her. Just the way she speaks, it didn't. It was the to... one word. It was one word. It wasn't as though the whole sentence was spoken in yeah, Cockney. I ain't it was like for one. Breakfast. It just seemed to be really kind of. I oh. ain't. Like it okay. wasn't written for her, you know. It was like it just didn't seem to fit with her speech patterns up until that point. You know, uh-huh. it just seemed to jar on me for some reason. Well, it was in the middle of the the TARDIS landing with a loud thud or something like coming off the airplane, and and she goes breakfast. I ain't waiting for breakfast, but. It, it was it a little strange, I guess, but it didn't sound too out of character for I'm not, me. I'm not saying it was, I had a, 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 um, a, a logical reason for it to be jarring. It just occurred to me that it that it was. It was kind of odd. Um, you know, I've got no reasoning behind it, just it was. Mm. <laughs> At least she used mm. the word ain't correctly from a grammatical point of view. <laughs> <laughs> My petty little life, yes. yes. Well, I think I think that's about wraps it up for me. It was a, a four out of five for me. It was a, a nice episode. I'm looking forward to watching it again. Actually, I had started watching it this morning, but I had to leave. Um, oh, I have to impart this really cute, cute dad story. Is that uh, I thought, you know, my wife was uh, doing something on her laptop. I thought, well, I'll just watch it on the computer here while I do some stuff at my desk. Um, so I was watching the. You know, build up at the beginning of the pre-credit stuff. As soon as the theme tune started up, Callum comes running in, comes over to me, says up, and then sits on my knee for about 10 minutes watching Doctor Who. And I'm like, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I was just quite happy, you know. He just get, come, comes running in at the sound of the, the, the theme and then just sat there and watched the Doctor and kept pointing at the Doctor. Doctor! Doctor! It's the Doctor! TARDIS! <laughs> Cute kid story. Had to have one. All right, I'm done, Dave. It's all on you. Okay, okay. And we'll just join my guest 17. We are getting near to the end. We'll probably end by the uh, in about the next 10 minutes or so. I don't think I'll be that much longer. But uh, let me play the the last. I've got two clips. Uh, the final one I, I might not play because that's the sort of the next time clip. But here's the final clip of the the main story, and then I'll just have a short say myself. You don't seem like a nanny. I was going to travel. I came to stay for a week before I left, and during that week, she died. So you're returning the favor, then? But a hundred and one places to see, and you haven't been to any of them, have you? That's why you keep the book. I keep the book? She's still going. You don't run out on the people you care about. Wish I was more like that. You know, the thing about a time machine, though, you can run away all you'd like and still be home in time for tea, so what do you say? Anywhere. All of time and space right outside those doors. Does this work? Eh? (laughs) 
Is this actually what you do? Do you just crook your finger and people just jump in your snog box and fly away? It is not a snog box. How could you judge that? It's gotten weird. Come back tomorrow. Ask me again. Why? Because tomorrow I might say yes. Some time after seven, okay for you? It's a time machine. Any time's okay. See you then. Clara? Uh-huh? In your book there was a leaf. Why? That wasn't a leaf. That was page one. Right then, Clara Oswald. Time to find out who you are. And I just suddenly realised the last clip there, whether when he says trying to say yeah, you think he's not going to go because he can arrive at her house for seven o'clock in the morning whenever he wants. Is he now going off to some other adventure and then coming back to meet her at seven o'clock in the morning? Um, seemed I didn't notice that when I uh, listened to it, uh, watched it before and listened to editing the clips. So he may well be going off. Uh, we're not going to guess about next week's episode, although I've got the the clip about it. Um, but uh, yeah, I I enjoyed it. I, I said when on the collective, somebody asked me, you know, well, what do you think about it? And I said a, a four plus out of five. Uh, I didn't quite give four and a half because I thought as I, an adventure, I enjoyed it. The only time I was getting a bit uncomfortable was the bike ride, actually, and the bike ride up the uh, shard. And I was very relieved when it turned out that the doctor wasn't doing that. that. Uh, it was very good, of course, the, the clever idea with the with the motorbike because um, it also meant it could hide that it was a spoon face because he had the helmet on. Uh, already mentioned about the possible loss of the um, the sonic screwdriver, but that can be explained. Um, uh, the thing about, I mean, I, I'm already liking Clara uh, a, a lot. I like the feistiness of her. I like the. I think. Uh, I think the. Dar said he didn't know whether she was a better actor than um, the Amelia actress, um, Karen Gillan. I think Karen Gillan was just becoming a good actress towards the end. I mean, some of her, her best bits were towards the end, the, the Girl Who Waited and the, the, the Last Angels one. Uh, I think this girl, I think, can act uh, certainly within the parameters of the show. I saw her in Titanic, saw her in Dancing on the Edge. Uh, and I think you know she has got a uh, more of a range about her. So, but I do enjoy. But the thing I like is the fact that was, she was drinking this cup of mug of tea, uh, and they, we have this incident. We, I, I'm now not sure whether the plane was being crashed accidentally because all the Wi-Fi signal was going on, and, and everybody aboard the plane just happened to, um, you know, be switched off, as it were. And and that was causing. But the fact that they they emerged onto the ship, uh, onto the uh, the plane, and she's dashing down the aisle, all things happening. But she's holding onto that cup of tea uh, all the way through. I thought that really worked very well, and I liked it. All to the point that she ended up putting a a mug of tea on the on the TARDIS console afterwards. Uh, th there was a lot to like about it. Um, 
Uh, my rating might have gone down half a point since we've discussed it now. But as a, as a, an episode, I thought it through, it went well along. I think there were some some things in there put in there for sort of what what in UK politics they call the one-liners or the you know the 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 bite-sized quotes. Uh, the, the, the I was a bit it was a bit strange. I think Darth mentioned it when we saw the uh, you know the the date two thousand was it. 1207 uh, floating on the sea, uh, a little bit like they did uh, with uh, Sherlock, with dates and words on the screen. But it was there, basically, I think, for the joke. But I, what I didn't like about um, Matt Smith's acting, in some scenes he seems very strong, but ever ever since the Lodger episode, which I know some people, it's their fa- one of their favourite episodes, uh, where we suddenly had the Doctor not knowing how to deal with human beings, and I think he overdoes that uh, somewhat, and counterpointed against this uh, young girl who would, you know, if he acted that way in front of her, there'd be no, I can't see her attraction to him. Uh, she certainly, it's not as though, well, he's an odd bod, but I want to go on an adventure with him because I might be able to see my father who's dead. Uh, there wasn't a, a motive like that. Um, so I, I just wish he wouldn't be. Uh, be um, sorry, I, should, I wish the character wouldn't be written so much with that sort of um, fuddy duddy. Uh, oh, I don't know what to do around women things. So I got you some bits and pieces and did this, that, and the other. A bit like I didn't like the scene um, in the story where he's watching television with uh, Amy and Rory. I know some people like that, you know, where he's mow- mowing the lawn maniacally outside and jumping around. I don't like that side of the doctor, but I do know that some people feel as though, you know, that that does provide a, a humorous element to his character. But all in all, um, so much has been said, and I think we've, we've covered this episode. Um, to me, there are two sorts of faults with, with episodes. There's faults that happen in the story when you're watching it and it niggles you so much you can't, you know, it jumps out of the story and then you get a very unsatisfactory viewing of it. And I've done that. And sometimes when I've watched it a second time, I've I've forgiven that and I watch it and enjoy it more. With these, these little niggles that some people have mentioned, and I've mentioned a couple, didn't really spoil the story. So as a story, it really flowed for me. thought it was an awful lot of things touching base. I do feel as though there is some things in the editing that are done specifically, you know, we may have new viewers, so we have to say, oh, I miss being called the Doctor. But although I didn't like him asking her to say Doctor Who three times, I did like it when she first said Doctor Who, and he said no. It's the Doctor. So he did correct her that his name isn't Doctor Who. His name's the Doctor. So I, I was pleased that that went on. Um, so all in all, I think the very fact... Oh, that was the other thing. Um, the, uh, the, the great intelligence, of course, uh, the first person that assisted him in the snowman was the uh, Richard E. Grant character. And of course, the great intelligence has taken on his facial viewing, hasn't he? Because, of course, it, it, was it Michael Gambon who voiced the great intelligence in the first one? Ian McKellen. Was it? Oh, Ian, Ian McKellen, of course. Ian McKellen, of course. I mean, we, yeah, that's right. It's Ian McKellen. But we never... Hey, only one mistake today. Uh, mind you, it's still time. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, but the point is, we didn't see a face. But it, it was nice that he must have had a fondness for that first, you know, chap, in as much as he used that as his visual representation when appearing on the screen. So I did like that. I, I saw bits, as well as the Idiot Lantern and the other things, I saw some school reunion in there with the fact that they, you know people have been boosted in their intelligence and then they were sitting in rows of computers for uh, somebody else's purpose. Uh, in the case of school reunion, if it's not too spoilerish, they were trying to crack a code uh, where here they were you know, doing other things. But I, I did see that recollection and of course silence in the live uh, silence in the library with the spoon faces i'm glad in a way that the spoon faces that was a bit of misdirection they're not an alien race uh they're these um these nodes aren't they these uh computer nodes so all in all um i, I really liked it more because often on the first viewing i don't like them uh whether whether this is one of those episodes that i'll actually get scaled down when I start to view it more and watch faults but um, all in all uh, very good and I'm very hopeful for this companion even though I don't really want it to be overly special I think um, I think she's got a, a real uh, character and zest and hype and uh, yes Ian and they slimmed her down nicely for the part <laughs> now uh, you'll have to tell me when you Go around the room. I'm going to unmute Kobo as well in a moment. Uh, I've got a, just a one-minute clip of the uh, the very end bit. So if you tell me when to play that. Okay. We can play that on the way out and then... Okay. So um, we'll go quickly around the room. And, uh, people I just want to repeat their... Uh, repeat their... Uh, <laughs> their rating, um, or add anything else in that they haven't think of in the meantime. Um, and of course, uh, if you haven't put your uh, rating in the text chat, for those of you who are under the code, you should do that now so Dave and I can read them out at the end. So, uh, Perry, anything hey. more you want to add? No, I don't think so. I think you guys have hit all the the points that uh, that I would have done. I en I enjoy the episode just for the. Um, just for the action and the witty banter, and I do like Clara. Although, you know, the points that we made about how similar it was to um, other Moffat episodes, I think, is the only real detraction for me. So, so four out of five. Darth. Um, the, the one last sort of question I have, and Dave just reminded me of it, is why is it Richard E. Grant? I don't really. I mean, I I get that it's. Great intelligence, that's fine. In fact, that's probably a good thing. Um, but why Richard E. Grant? I, I mean, he's dead, right? I mean, that's what we saw in some... Is it is is it significant that it's Richard E. Grant? Are we looking at Richard E. Grant at some point within the snowman? Is that what we're meant to think? Is that... uh, Well, I assume that it formed such a bond with him that he took his his visage, but I don't know why he took the voice. That was the point I was trying to make, because it wasn't his voice originally. But if he's going, if the great intelligence is not vain, he's yeah. going to may as well take the the face of his. Hey, what do you think? Cheaper actor to get. To get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but are are we meant to think that it is weird? I mean, that it, somehow that that indicates some kind of temporal screwing around with things, or are we just meant to think 
you know, the, the sort of behind the scenes reasons that the they can't afford. They can't afford. They, well, I, I think the reason why they actually gave him a gave it a face this time is because if they just used the voice alone, I don't think people would have tied it into the snowmen. I mean, they would have said great intelligence, yeah, but the, right. the voice wouldn't have ticked us off. Um, True. I mean, so there is no Ian McKellen voice. Well, a, yeah. Right. Right. So they 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 use that as a as a tie in, and like I said, you know, Richie Grant's not cheaper to get. But would you agree that it doesn't actually, it doesn't make superficial sense, right? I mean, no, I mean, what, you can, you can, like Dave did. Well, did unless, unless they sort of, but, but it doesn't really make. We'll see where it's sense. going. Yeah. yeah. Unless it's sort of, you know, sort of um, somehow absorbed his personality. Right. At one point, yeah. I guess. But you know, I mean, we perhaps. have to read in to 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 get to those conclusions. Yeah, mm. in a natural story progression, it would retain the same voice characteristics, and you know. Yeah. I mean, the way it let that woman go at the end, it showed that he'd got he, he, the great intelligence, even though he's doing all this to humanity, can still make a bond with an individual. Right. Huh. Yeah. Weird. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I don't think I'm going to rise much above about a. Hmm. What to give it? Because there's so much I hate, um, <laughs> and so much, and that, and yet the dialogue itself is in in parts clever and oh, wow. I guess that means just split it down the middle and say two and a half because it's half good and half bad. I guess, but it's it's definitely if we th- if we think that this is a season, and I, I think it, it's time for us to abandon this notion that this is seven B and just say this is eight because we're not getting a season this year. Um, it's the weakest opening uh, of any season. Well, no, is it weaker than Asylum of the Daleks? I don't know about that. No. Um, but it's certainly, this is no Smith and Jones. This is no partners in crime. Even, even though partners in crime, I didn't really like that much. Uh, on retrospect, partners in crime is better. I don't know. It's, it's pretty bad. Um, doesn't leave me with much hope. I don't know. I don't know how, why you guys are all more hopeful than I on this. Cause it's, I don't know. Beginning to the end. The only good thing this year that I'm slightly looking forward to is a Mark Gatiss script, and that tells you something. So, uh, and and that's not even in the regular series; that's in the the special. So I don't know. Not a great start. Three words: Neil freaking Gaiman. <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? He's got a script coming on. Yeah, Neil Gaiman has a, a script coming up. And I think Gaddis is writing a script, actually. Yeah. But. Oh. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> right, moving but, on to you. Jeff. Well, I'll take the counter uh, to what Darth just said. I thought this was a very good opening story for a season or a season and a, a half a season. Uh, definitely way better than New Earth. Uh, I, I'd put it above Partners in Crime. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. I'd give it a four. Alrighty. Dubbo. Uh, I, like I said, loved it. 
And if this is the way things are going, I have very high hopes. And like I said, we have new games to look forward to, so what can possibly go wrong? <laughs> Don't say that. Um, it's <laughs> true. This is Moffat we're talking about. Just as soon as you say that, everything will go to where? And, uh, Mr. Cuddly Ken. Alright, um, I really enjoyed it. I give it, you know, four TARDIS groans. I think it's a very good beginning to the season. With, with a caveat, and as I'm listening to everything, and it's, you know, I, I, I don't have the razors out on the review because I look at it as a bigger picture. But um, Moffat, who I thought could do no wrong when he was working under RTD's auspices and some of my favorite uh, scripts, my favorite writing during his tenure as a showrunner has not been him. And yet I've heard something that seems to be more than a rumor from a number of writers, including Paul Magyars, etc., that Vincent and the Doctor and the Doctor's wife was actually totally written by Stephen Moffat. Now, I, I can't, you know, give the exact details on that, but I've read more than one source on that, which, one, I find disconcerting, because, accordingly, when Moffat wrote a script under RTD, he said he did not do rewrites on Moffat's work. That was like a high praise to Moffat as a writer. And I really enjoyed this initial outing. But there is the continuous last-minute freeing of people trapped by some alien force, mind control, have you will, that RTD did and Moffat has repeated constantly. I... I don't care because I thought it was handled very well here. There is, as Darth said, the repeated twisting of the head, second face, false face attitude. I think maybe this is the best it has been handled. My my biggest complaint about Stephen Moffat is I think he wonderful cleverness to his writing. But as a whole, it's this creation of mysteries without end, convolutions that don't find a satisfaction, and it comes up to a game playing with, with an audience where I would, the moments here that I liked and what I liked about it were the character bits between the leads, the emotion of her character underpinning why she's a governess, the, the caring she has, the, the aspect that the great intelligence is using children, the terrible thought, and some of the pathos shown at the end of that. And, and those are things I love. So, I mean, I'm very glad to give it for TARDIS groans. But there's this dissatisfaction, and I, I'm enjoying every season for what's given. But I don't feel this completeness I did in the RTD era. I, uh, you know, when I was watching End of Time, 
and uh, final episode, and we see the that the way the doctor is getting his reward and going back to all his companions, and even the point of going to that book signing, you know, there, that just blew me away. The thing of Mickey and Martha being married, which some people thought was silly, RTD tied up everything, every little bit. And I, I really appreciated that as a viewer, as a fan, for a casual viewer, whatever, enough. Uh, I have a feeling when things are not tied up, it's just another job sometimes. And there is a drunken revelry um, interview, which Darth alluded to some weeks back, between Stephen Moffat and a number of writers. This was, I think, maybe about 15 years ago or something in which Stephen Moffat is just totally ragging on classic who, calling the Ice Warriors rubbish and all of this. And and we can, you know, whether this is true or not, and whether it was just a drunken revelry at the time, but I really hope at the end of these eight episodes, we're not just going to be um, slapped in the face again and find out, well, that's it. You, this is the mystery. I, I'm tired of these unsolved mysteries. I just want the characters to be who they are. The mystery of Donna was not a mystery. This was a great person. I was involved with her. She made me weep. When I watched Turn Left, my whole body was shaking by the end of that. To see that road not taken and the emotion put into that, and the brilliance of that. There's been, there hasn't been a lot of moments that have affected me that much in the Stephen Moffat reign. Vincent and the Doctor, Doctor's Wife, uh, Girl Who Waited, did have aspects of that. But watching the David Tennant Doctor and the Eccleston Doctor and what RTD did was an emotional experience. I want, I want that back all the time. I'm getting cleverness. I'm getting joy. It's it. I love the show, and I love much that's in there. But maybe, maybe I've just been so satisfied with what I had before. I want to be blown away. Right. I want to give five TARDIS groans. I want to be shaking. So my reviews are positive. I come from the point of love, but when I when I get right to it. And I don't like. I, I'm a character, not plot person. But when you do, when, but he seems so concerned with plot, and yet a lot of endings are, being put the magic button, or the ending of Independence Day, boom, that, you know. But but something something like Journey's End. I I love when the TARDIS brings Earth back, from from where it has been taken uh, by the Daleks. It was crazy and magical, but it, it was such a flourish of imagination. I want that, want that back. Oh, and one last thing. I I think the coat's pretty good. It kind of evokes Pertwee a bit to me. It doesn't seem so outlandish. 
and and I kind of like it. It, it doesn't, but it's 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 a it's a small a niggle on that. I I like the new TARDIS interior. I don't love it. I I like the Eccleston Tenant TARDIS. I like those pylons. I uh, I like that feel. But four TARDIS groans. Good start. Love Jenna Louise Coleman. Great chemistry and um, very fetching, I might add. Uh, very. <laughs> and, that's, very. That's, and I will let us go and enjoy our Easter now, and I will be quiet. But love everybody. <laughs> some mini eggs to eat. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, sir. Uh, Dave, did you have anything more to add before we... No, uh, just that I'll play us out with both clips. I'll play the clip and then the outro, so if you say the goodbyes, and then I'll play us out with those two. Right before that, uh, of course, earlier we had uh, my TARDIS, who uh, had to duck oh. out, uh, gave us a four out of five. Uh, Cybob says a three and a half out of five. <laughs> Carp Blanche says 1.5 out of five. Zany rubbish. <laughs> Um, and I don't think we got. A, I don't think we got a rating from Mike. I don't know well, Mike doesn't usually like getting ratings. I, 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 I gave him the opportunity. And by the way, we won't mention the title just in case nobody wants to know. But uh, we will be back next week, talking over the next episode. Yes. All right. But until then, it's goodbye from Mr. Dave AC. And it's goodbye from Ian, the Sixth Doctor. Goodbye, and everybody. Bye bye, and this is the next time trailer. If you don't, if you don't want to hear it, what do you want to see? Something awesome. Back at Can we see it? Close. Oh, you okay? Have you seen her? Who? I'm Mary Galel. <laughs> the Queen of Years. I'm the vessel of our history. What's happening? Is that supposed to happen? With a screwdriver. Grandfather's away. You have it Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus.